everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week we go big time with former American Gladiator and The Biggest Loser coach Jen Wiederstrom. If you thought she was impressive before, give this episode a listen. Jen explains that throughout the ebb and flow of the industry, technology, and her personal life, she's come to expect that how she impacts others through coaching will absolutely change. But what she never lost sight of is her why. Learn how Jen is able to tackle the mental complexities around nutrition with her clients and why she thinks that the quarantine has only reinforced people's basic need for a team connection. And finally, the fellas discuss what is to become of this year without the Power Athlete Symposium and without Soar Next Summer Strong. Here it is, episode 374. Uh, thanks for hopping on, I guess. It's been a long time since uh, uh, Tex and myself have been able to catch up with you. I know you and John have been in touch uh, over the past, since past Summer Strong. Uh, winter Strong. Well, and even before yeah, that, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, when we were linked up. But what is up? What's happening? It was funny when, when John was like, hey, do you think you can do a, a podcast? And I was like, let me check my schedule. <laughs> yes, I'm available. And that <laughs> so. was 25 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Gosh, yeah. I mean, what is that? I mean, talk about the like the biggest ca- recalibration of life, whether you wanted one or not. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's actually been really great. I've been actually playing this game here where I think about, you know, a lot of people are focusing on what things we are losing because of quarantine, uh, because of our lack of travel, all these things. And I and I've flipped it and I think, what things am I not going to let go of? because of this time. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm 37. This is the first time in my life where I'm actively reading like multiple books. Like I've never had books open on my countertops. I'm like, I don't have that time. I don't have that like patience. I don't have that like mental availability. And it's, so it's been kind of fun. Like I'm cooking more. I'm, I'm, you know, actually I'm still drinking my share, but less like I'm containing it. So it's, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. So you've decided uh, not not to go the Vegas route, uh, dude. You're yeah, I'm not going, getting shit faced, yeah, but I'm like, still drinking. Uh, you're going like lake house route, you so, know? Yes. So my wife's uh, like friends are all like now that like it's kind of winding down, are all kind of going into like a like a social rehab for drinking. Like she's like, uh, all my friends are like, you know, we need to do a detox. Like we need to stop drinking. And I'm like, well, how often do they drink? They're like, well, like every day. And I'm like, well, yeah. like just at night. They're like, no, like anything afternoon. Well, you they gotta start get the nooner. Like, you, you pop the nooner. You get a decent buzz. You ramp it up for dinner because you're gonna weigh it down with a nice greasy steak. And then afterwards, you need a nightcap. Oh, dude, can you imagine? And then you go out with your buddies in the neighborhood on Zoom. No, on Zoom. See, on no, Zoom. See, this is like. I think it's. I think what we're having is like uh, parents that have kids at home mm-hmm. and are just like, I'm going to self medicate and I'm just going to numb. numb I this. bet. I bet. Yeah. We did. We did a Zoom call a few weeks ago, and everybody kind of dressed up. And one of the couples I've known since I've known Ty since I was 11, and they had like a suit and a tie, and they were wasted. And I'm like, <laughs> it's seven. We've been drinking since one, and like the kids were still up. I'm like, aren't they down? They're like, we don't. We're okay. I mean, it was like it was a whole nother level of drinking, and it was not self medication, John, at all. It was party time. It was just like party. Like the kids that looked like they were drinking, and they're like five and under. You know, I was like, this is insane. You but, see, like something going on fire, somebody breaking this, the dogs running because it's you know it's got like you know all this stuff's going on in the background, like a well, weird movie. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All of those things. Although it's funny, you talked about like the afternoon thing, like my parents are in their seventies, no kids at home. And like, we, we've, we're, I grew up very much like John, like we, the airplanes, are you kidding? We can't afford to be on a plane. Like we drove everywhere in a van. We, we grew our own vegetables. Like we, you know, we got one can of soda on the weekends. So we had to ration like our supplies. And, you know, my parents are still at the garden plot and my dad, it, it had to have been like one o'clock. And he was like, joking about like the rototiller and how it might be a better ride than a better push. And I was like, are you drinking? He's like, well, I've had one, but I'm not drinking. I'm like, Whoa. it's like, what a clock, Norm. <laughs> and, and, it, and they're in Chicago? Chicago yep, land area? Yep, mm -hmm. exactly, Southwest suburbs. So it's great though. Well, let's go back there. So give us a little background, Jen, in case anyone doesn't know you or you're new to our audience. Let's get a, I guess, an intro. As far back as you want, as long as you want, the floor is yours. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, you wrote me that in your email. I was like, this is the hardest thing. We just want to let um, you fly like a big butterfly that you are. Just flap <laughs> your wings. Just be a beautiful big butterfly. Thank you. I wrote back flap, flap in our email, and nobody commented. Or I was like, I <laughs> no, hope they know that's my wings. I, I, I don't know. I'm a peacock. <laughs> let me fly. Well, it, it was. I was thinking about the peacock one, and I went with butterfly, and I was like, damn, I think I messed up the, the movie reference from the other guys. Of so, the other guys, which, yeah. by the way, if, if you're listening and you have not seen the other guys, it is now available on Netflix. <laughs> I get no credit for pushing this out. But like the, the, the whisper fight with Michael Keaton by far is one of the best moments uh, on TV in the last 10 years. This, will be, just, this can be our third dude, monkey movie recommendation. This, uh, okay. uh, the Dirty Mike and the Boys and the Soup Kitchen and like that whole thing. Like we use that pretty often. Be like, oh, who's over there? Yeah, it's Dirty Mike and the Boys are coming by for a soup kitchen. And that's a lot of improv. So if you haven't seen the gag reel or the... Ooh on YouTube Good. on the big screen what they haven't put in the movie it's almost even more hilarious because they don't have to stick to a plot line the in the subplot of Hightower and um, the rock and Sam L yeah like oh my it, god it's this much of the movie right but I mean <laughs> wow aim for the bushes <laughs> I like when he when he jumps the car into the bus and then he's driving the bus. Like, I was, oh God, that, no, uh, that was I, great. I, I forgot, like, because it was so short, and I was like, how did I allow that to escape? It was just. And by the way, if you don't know, you have to know. You have to watch because it's. I mean, six minutes of your of your morning just yeah. to get there, and then and then and then it's it. And I won't tell people why, but it's like so good. And I'm surprised um, that movie wasn't high, like more acclaimed. I mean, uh, so when they go into the bar and you know how they do like that panning thing with the screen and they're yes. doing the shots and they're like the stills of them like moving in time, but it's still shots. I've never seen that in a movie. And I thought that was the coolest thing. You know, he's like pissing off the thing, things on fire, <laughs> the guns are going off and it's all the stills. Yeah, yeah. Like okay, there were yeah, so yeah. many legit parts of that movie, you know, like uh, when he's sitting at the support group and the guy's like, Yankee Clipper. He's like, I threw the shotgun down and I killed them both. My cock was odd, you know, and he does that whole monologue. <laughs> like, I remember watching that movie and being like, I can't believe this isn't like, uh, uh, like uh, people aren't exploding over this. I love the Marky Mark and Eva Mendez. And you just can't, <laughs> can't believe that Will Ferrell and he just brushes her off and puts yeah. her down the whole time. Beautiful Dude, wife. Uh, but the whole thing where he's a pimp and he's like, Gata ain't now, you know, Gata's bitch. Oh. Goes like, I'm watching it like this is in, like there are so many subtle, cool parts, like legit, like subplots and just, I'm like, this stuff's genius. Should we just put it on right now in Mystery Science <laughs> 3000? You don't really have to interview me. It's, this is great. No, I agree, Joe. I felt it was as good as a, you know, old school or a Tommy Boy or a Hangover. Like these were like these different kind of generational benchmarks of 
funny films. And like, I know my circle of friends love it, but it's not like, it didn't buzz and rocket like most do, which I hope it's the slow burn, like for their sake, because it's uh, so good. My, so my theory is Marvel. Marvel Wait. flattened that, that experience. So out. I'm checking out the other movies released at this time. So it's August of 2010. So we wow. had Expendables. It's been 10 years. Eat, oh. Pray, Love. Ooh. Piranha? <laughs> Piranha. Send it. Definitely beat them in the box office. Uh, yeah. Takers, who was Paul Walker. That's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. But it, nothing. But no, this is, none of these movies jump out August 2010. But so 2010, I don't know why. It, like, tw- 2007 to 2012 was a big, the Marvel, like, tip, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Because so 08 was Iron Man. Yeah. Captain America was, like, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Avengers was 12. You're right. So it might have so maybe I, it just scooped up. It just started to overshadow, I, in my opinion, overshadow a lot of that genre. And it just didn't get the PR, maybe. Ooh, Inception. Mm-hmm. Book of Eli. So maybe okay. there are some good movies. No, I I, I don't have any kids. I, John, I know you have a few. I don't, I'm not sure about the boys, but like to me, that's school. School is starting. Like, are you really gonna like find a way to get a babysitter? And it's not sure. a movie you can take your kids to. I don't think. That's and, a good and then point. get out. I think part of it's that. That's definitely yeah, a good maybe. point. But then it does. It is worth the slow burn. I think, and I bet you there will be a resurgence yeah. over time. People are gonna be like. That movie's awesome, and it definitely like it. It's lived on, but does it kind age? of super? So, so Super Troopers wasn't big in the theaters, right? It wasn't, mm. and I, I, I didn't even like. I saw the Super Troopers come out. It didn't even function on my radar. It's good, and one. then uh, it came out on DVD video. And I remember we were at training camp, and the guys like, hey, we or Doug Brzezinski was like, hey, we should watch the Super Troopers movie. He threw it in, and I'm not kidding. I don't think I've laughed that hard since Happy Gilmore. It's great. It's great. I almost died in Happy Gilmore. Does, I don't remember the other guys that much in terms. Of, like, I remember I've seen it multiple times. I'm on board, happy to watch it, and everything like that. But it, are, is there any risk that you guys remember of it not aging well for like polysocial acceptability reasons? Uh, no. You know what I mean wait, by that? No. Like, who? Wait. Who? What? Where? Where is there something? Of that's not what I'm, I'm trying to remember either? if there's anything in there that's like not very PC. That would be like, oh, we can't really like this. Uh, I can't think of anything. Kind of like uh, Robert Downey Jr. doing the uh, uh, blackface in uh, oh, right. in uh, Tropic yeah. Thunder. Yeah, yeah like Tropic that, Thunder. Like but that probably that was funny because the irony that he was doing it, like to make fun of Hollywood, right? And then people took offense to it. And I'm that's like, my uh, thing. You can't so take qu- offense to somebody making a joke about something that's offensive. Well, I think the question is, can it be made today? Sure. Tropic Thunder? No. Right. But other guys, that's a great way. I think so. Okay. Agreed. Uh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna the vote. The whole thing with Michael Slowbert? Keaton when he's he went when he's working at Bed Bath and Beyond. God. Remember, like that whole when he's oh, speaking yeah. in the TLC, <laughs> like 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 the references are in there. Like it puts, or maybe the problem is it puts you into a certain age demographic that when mm-hmm. you hear him using it, you're like, you're choosing TLC lines. I bet you people and you're would right, be like, uh, I haven't seen TLC. Yeah, you know, or but, I don't know what TLC is. But Jen, you're right. Then that that demographic, if that's the humor point, that becomes school. And then now you got to age out 10 years before you can put it on with your kids and really kind of crack a laugh. Your kids probably don't get it. But then that is the slow burn equation. Uh, there's a point like with your kids where you can take them to movies where things are so far over their head, you don't have to worry about it. And like my daughters are, are just at the point now where they're like, well, what does that mean? Like, yep. like my daughter, um, they were watching uh, this show called it's a really it, uh, it's one of Texas favorites it's called The Legends of Tomorrow. 
It's like a superhero. DC. It's really bad. It's on Netflix. Text is, is that the CW show? Uh, it is a CW show. So the girls are watching it, and um, I, I like I I can I was on the computer. I'm like hearing them watching it, and like in the back of my head, like the, they knock on a dude's door, and he basically says, he's like, hey, you guys got to come back. I'm about to have a threesome with these contortionists, and like I kind of like looked up, and they were like, what's a contortionist? <laughs> I was You're like, like, yes. I was like, boy, they totally missed the threesome part, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I was like, I was waiting for them. Like, so, what is a contortionist? contortionist? Is somebody that gets himself in like crazy positions, like, like you go pretzels. to like, yeah, pretzels, like Hyper, uh, hypermobile. Hi, yeah, hypermobile. I'm like, oh, it's somebody who's super flexible that does. Yeah, weird in things the training world, text that means hypermobility. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I so see. That's I see. a contortionist. Supple, a supple leopard. But thank God they didn't ask me with the threesome part. They just were like, "What's a contortionist?" I was like. Ooh, dodge that bullet. Well, ask, ask your mother. <laughs> no, you'd say, well, but when it, you go golfing and there's three of you, <laughs> they call it a threesome. Okay, so then, John, this is a great question. At what age, if they had said, Daddy, what's a threesome, do you answer the question? Because I remember when 18, I went... maybe 19. You, really, you would wait. Gosh, my parents, they might have messed up. I mean, they also let me play Conan the Barbarian at my third grade birthday party. And there was like the orgy and he was killing the snake and the girls were crying. And my mom's like, Norm, turn it off, turn it off. Like, <laughs> and I was so upset because I was like, I was like, what? this is my favorite movie. It's my birthday. But I remember vividly it was uh, they were the movie talk, talked about 69. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> what is what is 69? And my dad, they look, and my dad slowly hits the pause button, and he goes, Lynn? <laughs> and he, like, he, like, he just bounced it back to her. <laughs> like, well, and, and, and of course, I've got a younger brother, so my brother's five years younger, my sister's two years older, and they were like, if we had questions, they just, like, yeah. it's when a man and a woman, like, and he, they just told us, and we're like, yeah. okay, and we hit play, <laughs> it was yeah. it. Jen, I got to tell you, the apparent names of Norm and Lynn are, like, so <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. 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 Dude, the, uh, so my daughters for, um, they had, like, a father-daughter dance that I couldn't go to because I think we were traveling for work. And uh, it was when we were doing some gigs for the military. And I told them, I was like, hey, well, I'll do, uh, like, a father like daughter date like with each of you guys so my daughters and my twins get together and they decide that like if they have joint they get to go on two adventures not just one so my one daughter wanted to go to In-N-Out Burger God bless her heart so we went to In-N-Out and then my other daughter selected that she wanted to go see a movie because all the boys in her school were talking about Hobbs and Shaw so they wanted to go see Hobbs and Shaw I was like I'll go <laughs> so I, I take them and then my oh, little boy who's three at the time he, of course, can't be left, so I take them. I'm like, everybody get in. My wife doesn't want to go. So I'm like, you just stay here. I'll take these monsters. And uh, the fact like that we wouldn't watch the Hobbs and Shaw, thank God there was nothing in there but just gr grotesque or uh, uh, gratuitous violence. And uh, they yeah. were totally fine with it. They were like, but even my daughters were like, how was he able to hold that truck up by a chain to the helicopter? That doesn't seem realistic. It's the rock, kid. When, That's what I would say. When, when seven-year-olds are questioning, the rock. <laughs> questioning the authenticity of a movie, I'm like, yeah, no, he, they really failed on this one. How dare you? Totally. <laughs> seven-year-olds are like, this doesn't look very real. I'm like, you're seven. What do you know? Eh, I don't think that would happen. But they're also <laughs> girls. Which I think girls like uh, uh, are orders of magnitude smarter than boys. No, that's a fact. Because like you know, we play with other kids, and I see the boys at their same age, and like my daughters seem like ten years older and smarter than these little boys, and I'm like, I don't know. Like 
I can't believe how, first of all, how dumb you guys are. And two, like the girls, like it's just probably indicative of life. Yeah. You know, I like, it's like, let's play hit each other with rocks. Okay. You know, and that's like a fun game for dudes. I'll go, I'll go first, <laughs> you know. Like, Rochambeau. Oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> but Unbelievable. Maybe we could pivot back, Chen. Sorry. <laughs> let's go. Give the listeners, the, unveil the curtain. Well, I mean, you know, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a pretty standard Midwestern person. Grew up in Chicago, ended up going to college, University of Kansas. Ended up doing sports there, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's actually kind of how I was able to meet um, John through Sornex because I was a hammer thrower in at, at KU. And so there's a secret society of hammer throwers because it's just a really obscure sport. And we, we feel very, you know, it, and like, you know, even in at the, the biggest track meet of our life, we don't even get to throw in the stadium. It's always like, you got to go about six, six blocks this way, cross past the Denny's. There's a parking lot. Don't park there. Go for, you know, like we weren't even in stadiums and, we're this obscure crowd of people that kind of only know the weirdness of that. And obviously Bert Hammerthrow and Derek Woodski and Judd. And so anyway, that's what got me to the Sarnex side. But coming out of college, um, I was just bartending and drinking my face off in Chicago. My degrees in sports administration. So I had all the education and the interest of either working for a sports team or, or working back at my alma mater and just wasn't getting hired. And, you know, and I did well in school, but it just was, you know, I graduated college in 05. So it just was like a unique time. Um, our economy was kind of shifty. And then um, uh, I remember I ended up fitness modeling, ended up accidentally getting into what my true fans will say my greatest achievement, which is becoming an American gladiator. Yes. Uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty funny thing because I grew up watching the show, obsessed with it, um, just because it was fun to see. I think that the competitiveness, but like really strong women not giving a shit, like really kind of owning it. And I think that's the subliminal great message of that show. And whenever you have like, you know, kind of female, the, the superheroes in a way, because you're just like, wow, she, I have muscles. She has muscles and you kind of makes you feel more normal. And so, um, did the show, we get canceled. We're off the air in like two seasons. So like my dreams are broken and that became the, what the fuck do I do journey for about the next six years? You know, um, I had been to LA. I thought, let's try and stay and figure it out. And I think that fitness accidentally kind of became my channel of my preferred channel of communication. Like I wasn't certified in NASM. I wasn't certified for anything. I just had done college sports, knew how to move people and just was a team player, you know? Um, and ultimately, I mean, I think I'm most widely known for my work on the biggest loser. And it's funny when, when you work, I mean, I'm trying to think I got to LA in 09, didn't do biggest loser for at least six years or seven years later and when your biggest accomplishment is like something you've been looking at and working towards for that long and you get there and you realize it's, and this is no disrespect to the show, the job, but it's really, this is not this end point. This is not this peak that I thought it was and who I thought I would be and how I thought I would feel is so far from making it, so to speak, you know, and I kind of felt like if I just do the work and I stick to it, I, you know, I will have made this pinnacle. And not only that, but from an ego standpoint, I didn't realize how much I needed to check myself um, because I'm like, I made it. I'm better than the Instagram trainers now. I'm better than anybody that says that they think they've made, you know what I mean? And I made, I started to run this comparison game in my head and lost sight of what I'm really here for, which is to coach and to lead 
and got caught up in just making myself look different and feel special from other people. So, and when, you know, if you've got only so much time in your pie chart of energy and, uh, you know, passion and where you want to divert that, if you spend most of your time trying to just be better than others from a outside point of view versus really doing some of the work that's meaningful, you're going to be down a deep hole. And that's definitely where I ended. So I'll just give you that to start. Here you go. <laughs> I'd like to start with American Gladiators. Yeah. I, okay. so, uh, so me, uh, like, yeah, like a I'll, I'll, um, little secret. I'm a huge American Gladiators yeah. fan and I watched it. And it was funny. I didn't put two and two together until somebody, po or I think it was some like a fan sent you a picture and you posted it on your Instagram. And I was like, I actually remember that because yeah, yeah. you had the like the red funky hair. And I was like, like, I remember uh, it was like 05, 06. I was in Kansas City and like I remember watching it religiously. Like I was always mm -hmm. just such a fan because it like um, I always remember thinking like the Mike O'Hearns and being like, how come these douchebags don't play football? Like they're all like pretty big <laughs> athletic looking dudes. I'm like, this stuff must be fake. So I used to watch it. But I, as soon as I saw that side by side, I was like, oh, my God, like. Mm -hmm. Ah, I, I remember growing. We're the same age, and I remember growing mm -hmm. up, and that was like a family staple. You know, we would surround the television and just—it was epic. You know, and uh, but I'm curious because you're an athlete, you're an athlete going into this, and I think maybe most of the gladiators are. I don't know. Maybe you correct me on that, but can you talk us through like the, the pregame and the competitive element of being the gladiator on an episode? Like, is it? Did you, did you harness what you had learned from competition as a young athlete or was it just yeah, kind of grabbing us or what? Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. So in my season, you know, I mean, cause back, back in when like, it was like Dan Nitro Clark doing this and stuff like Nitro had played some college ball. You know, there were guys that were athletes that were like, Hey, this, we can do this too kind of thing. But but for me, you know, you had Michael Ahern, which is a strong person, but really, truly more of a physique, a physique, sorry, physique competitor, like with bodybuilding. But then you had Gina Carano, who was, was like the female MMA fighter, like the only hot one that was like crushing faces. And we had another one named Aaron Tohill. We had a couple fitness figure bodybuilder gals. We had one girl that was a boxer. We had a rodeo clown. We had the rock stump double Tunner White Reed. So it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I was like, yo, I'm Jen. I did college sports and I, I bartend. Like, I, I still don't fully understand how I got the job other than that. Cause they were like, will you dye your hair pink? And I was like, yeah, whatever I'll do. Cause I was like dream come true. I'd been a, I'd been a gladiator for Halloween multiple times. So the fact that I got an opportunity to actually live it and do it was great. But I think, I mean, we had to pass physical tech psych tests. And I think also like, if you watch any of that, those F seasons, like if you're going to go on an event and wrestle crush, which was Gina Carano, you're going to lose. There's no, no way you're going to come out of that. And I think I was actually the most beatable gladiator. Like I was like five, six, I was like 145 pounds. I, I, but like the pressure was real. So especially when, I mean, I, I hate saying this in front of John, but Powerball was not my best event. I was so bad at tackling. <laughs> I would try to like wrap people up and just slide down their bodies like, like a pole. And I could not, like, I just didn't have that quickness, but you put me on the rings or in the wall where it's one-on-one -on -one and everybody's eyeballs are on you which is mega pressure, but like I had built that in from doing sports my whole life where I'm like, you can 
totally freak out mentally and be a loser. And cause like, you can't like, Oh, redo my hand slipped. It's over. They get the points and you suck and nobody wants to be the weight link on the gladiators. So there was a feeling like we had a camaraderie, but like no one wanted to suck, but like, you know, and sometimes you get beat, but it was like, we kind of did a little warm up, but like, it was just a free for all. Like it's, it's hard to describe. Sounds amazing. So when you wake up on game day, like, is it like, is it on? Like you're there, you're making your breakfast. You got like, I don't know, ACDC playing in your earphones. You're going to the arena or no, was it just like go about your just, day and then report and you, make it happen? You'll be at a 10 all day. It's like waking up at like, cause you don't know when you're going to film. You know, the events that you have, okay. but it's like, you go, you get going, you get your outfit on and then you've got an hour of hair and makeup. And then someone's got to put like lotion on you. And then you've got to do some interviews and then some camera stuff. And I'm like, are we going to go? They're like, no, no, no. We're going to compete like hopefully an hour. And I'm like, uh, all right. And then you, you try to like lay down and like take a nap with your hair and makeup not being ruined. Cause then you'd have to go back through and nobody wants to go through again. So you just sit there for like hours, 12 hour days, sometimes 15 hour days, just waiting to compete. And the events are what I would say less than 90 seconds. Right, right. So you you just like you try to get warm. You, I would I would hit myself and like just try to like try to desensitize like my reaction, and then I just like and just go, you know. John, and who, sometimes I'd suck. <laughs> John, who did hair and makeup in the NFL? Uh, <laughs> same people that did American Gladiators. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's where we got them from. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I was thinking, um, I hope the last day you were there, you just stole your outfit and you rocked that for every Halloween since then. It's sitting. So number one, yes, I have it, obviously. Yeah. It's sitting <laughs> under my bed in Denver. Um, and then, no, I don't wear it for Halloween because... Uh. She wears it John, every other I mean, day of the year. <laughs> yeah. She's like, it's just every Saturday night. I like to, you know, go around and, you know, it light people so up. It is so small. And we, we had to tape my boobs in it. Like, it is not something to be worn at a night of drinking. Like, oh, okay. it has a, a shelf life of 90 seconds for an event, and then <laughs> you want to get out. You, you think they designed them like that, hoping that there would be a malfunction, and that might put up the ratings? Oh, it malfunctioned. I had like this deep V, like a, a tiny X. And then we'd be on events, like the rings, and girls would rip my top open. And thinking I would be like, ah! And I was like, God damn it. Now I gotta, now, you know, and my everything would be flying around. Oh, gosh. My, the stunt guys loved it. They were like, Jen! Woo! Oh, and like, you know, my, my, my production was great. Like, we will edit out your boobs. That one's friggin' awesome. Like, you did great, you know? So, because we had a live audience, so so malfunctions definitely happened in my outfit and a few of the others. But, like, you know, you just go. It's like, it's like John, like, like oh, I lost my mouth guard. Can we talk time out? It's yeah, somewhere yeah. here. It's like, no, you just play and you go. I, uh, I got poked in the eye. Um, I fucking lit this dude up, and he got up and he poked me in the eye and knocked out my contact. And uh, I was so mad, like, because uh, I couldn't see out of my eye. And, you know, you have one contact in, and you might as well just take the other one. So I had to go out for a play while they got me my uh, other contact. And um, I was so pissed off about it in the offseason, I went and I got laser eye surgery. And I was like, <laughs> this will never happen again. Contacts will not be my fucking bane of my existence. So I actually know what you're talking about, where you're, uh, like, that type of stuff, where you're like, I'm not going to let it slow me down, you know? Well, you can't. I mean, you actually had a sport. I mean, this was just like fun and games, but yeah. Uh, dude, I I loved it, especially as a kid. It was like um, I remember Nitro was like the dark haired dude, and then who was like the blonde guy was. Uh, well, there was Tower. We had Malibu. Blade? We had I think Malibu. John's thinking of Malibu. Yeah, was yeah. there a laser, laser, taser, yeah. and 
blazer. Blazer. <laughs> and, and they were blade. wearing those like blade. silver outfits. Like they were like, look like silver lederhosen almost. Like they would wear it like uh, Oktoberfest. And dude, dude, I loved it. But come on, Breakthrough and Conquer. Like we never did that on our season. And I, whether you were the guys or the girls, I mean, Zap, you had jazz. Like these people, I, I think they were more athletic than our season. And we had athletic people. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Never. Because it wasn't like... It's like a game show, but it's like it's full on competitive. Like there was one girl that like like kicked me or did something kind of cheap, and Gina was like, "I got you," and she rocked her on the next event because she kind of took a, a, a nasty shot at me. So it was like we were like, "Dad, we hated the contestants." We're like, "You guys, we would talk shit." Oh my god, we, yeah, we were, it was like oh, awesome. So so it was like real, uh, like fuck these contestants, let's fuck them up. Like it wasn't just like. Like, Without uh, breaking the rules, but yeah. yeah. But like Hollywood oh, yeah. where it's like, oh, no, we're all high-fiving in the back. No one's going to pretend. No, 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 no. We did not like them. We were like, you're not going to – because it becomes like a personal pride thing. Like seriously, like I'm on the rings because it, it's like it's like getting scored on. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not going to let you score on my, why I'm going. You know, like it, it, it's like – and it makes you really want to like get better. I remember like staying after work and working on my foot drills for Powerball because I had like – like messed up and like you know like it, it's it gets really intense so hair and makeup sure. was an hour uh how long was uh mike o'hearn's hair and makeup at least three always always, always. <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen a man more effort into his appearance although what was really funny because i mean his body was insane like they'd be like putting on a little like oil and mike's like hey I'm, I'm, i'll take somebody they're like sorry jen and they'd run and like all rub oil on his body he <laughs> loved it he was like you may you may oil the bicep <laughs> he's like here's a sign up sheet please everybody stand in line only one part. Oh, God. Oh, God, Mike. McQuoken, <laughs> any uh, Gina Carreno questions over there, uh, lover boy? Do, uh, uh, Jen, do you... That this is his, like, dream weaver. You remember when Garth, when the girl walks in, it's like, dream. dream. So Gina weaver. Carreno is his, like, dream weaver. She will be mine. Oh, yes. <laughs> she will be mine. Jen, you still in contact with the old teammates there? Of course. All of them. All of them. Gina's great. She's a wonderful person. She's a stud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish she kept fighting, man. Like, there is just something. She had an edge that was so great. But, like, you just got to, I think you get it to the point where you know that's something you want to continue to do or not. And you got to make, it's hard for any athlete to make that call. But, yeah. How, how many fights did she have? I mean, I remember seeing her at, like, 5-0. Five and, five and oh, like, she was doing quite well. And I think it was that cyborg fight that changed, that was that pivot. Because Couture, I think, trained her. It was this massive fight. They were the title fight, I believe, for that uh, UFC. And she, I think it was first round. It, I mean, I'm, it was just not, it was not her day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and that, something like that, like to put that much into it and be handed your ass, like it's hard for any athlete to come back from something like that. But I, I don't know, you know? I mean, clearly she's doing okay. You know, yeah, she's yeah. a dang movie star now and in the Star Wars franchise, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, no. And it's also not like you're giving up points. Like, oh, I got scored. You know, they they got past me four or five times. You're getting your you're you're getting beat up. And you also you know? have to remember, Cyborg at that point, like she's aged out. But like back she was in, gnarly, right? Dude, she was uh, um, you know, obviously fighting out of Brazil, but she only trained with dudes. Like like, like the only time she would ever go fight women. And you know, I mean, uh, you know, performance enhancing. I mean, like she had a lot of, but like. They showed like videos of her fight camp, and it was like her and like ten dudes 
fucking going at it, and they were like, yeah. uh, she's the only time she's ever fought a woman was in the octagon, and yeah. like, she's a fucking. We'd beast. never seen a moving a women move like that at that point, and when that fight happened, we were like, it was almost like the speed. You know, men's sports always tend to be a little faster. Whether if you look at same same basketball, you know, you look at like MMA, everything seems to be there's a bit there's always of course more power output. But there was just a volume up, like a tick up and the speed, like the 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 reaction, the aggressiveness, like it was like you can tell she'd been working against men. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember reading an article years ago about uh, it was Tennessee women's basketball that um, their coach was pretty sharp. She found like the guys that were like, you know, the 13, 14, 15, 16 dudes that got cut off of the men's team, offered them manager oh. scholarships and then brought them in. And those five guys played exclusively against their girls and uh, like in practice with them, did everything. And then when they were traveling managers and those guys got scholarships. Yeah, that's standard standard practice with a lot of top tier Division One women's basketball programs is get dudes that were cut as walk-ons from the men's team and they have open tryouts and then coaches ride them as hard as they do their own players. Yeah. So, and you don't, there, there's six guys. So you only get six opportunities. You get one break. Otherwise it's just all in for four years of you on that team, but free ride. Yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, my athlete, my tennis player, she only hits against men. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, every time we'll do some points and play matches against a couple other professional females that are getting ready, but She's always against men. Yeah. Yeah. It's working. Seems like strategy <laughs> that's working, right? Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's uh, no, but yeah, that Cyborg, I actually remember watching that fight and thinking like, Cyborg, they probably need to do a, um, maybe some genetic testing. She might have like, <laughs> like, like some, like she just physically, like, Jen, you know, like, uh, like when you start seeing women with like cap delts. And like overdeveloped, like you just see it, and you're like, man, like that. Uh, that's not how it's atypical traits. Well, like right. I, and and here's the crazy thing: I didn't see, um, like, I didn't see a change in women's physiques until CrossFit. Like, because I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was around like female athletes, and like we would, you know, and I, I met a ton of. I mean, I remember I was at some boat party with like this uh, the the Ven- or Ven- uh, Venus and Serena Williams, and like you know all these professional athletes. And like, you know, like you're used to. And then I, when I saw the CrossFit thing hit and all of a sudden, like not that first year, but the second, the third, all of a sudden I saw this change in women's bodies where mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, dude, these girls got cap delts and traps. And like, it, it just blew my mind. Cause I hadn't seen that level of physical development. I remember in CrossFit people were like, Oh, rich from these guys are jacked. I'm like, I played in the NFL with dudes that were 260 that didn't lift weights that were in better shape, mm-hmm. but I've never yeah. seen girls physically like I've seen in the CrossFit realm. When the idea of like, just- you know. I think here's the difference though, and I'm I'm not loved for saying this, but CrossFit is not a sport, right? A sport is when you take fitness and it's the application of fitness to a sport. So I see that CrossFit has attempted to bring in sports like swimming or even some of the rowing challenges and implement that into some of these, these courses or these sprints or races. But when you look at the development of a female athlete or a male athlete, um, look at any any quarterback, look at any wide receiver, I'm probably sure they will lose in most CrossFit workouts. Oh, yeah. But no CrossFitter could be in either of those positions and create those and execute that athleticism. None of them. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's sport specific. And what what I think CrossFit did to women's bodies is sport generalized. And so they just had to kind of be big everywhere, lean everywhere. And I think that there's a very under talked about conversation around the under eating of these women 
and the underfueling and to remain super lean. I mean, like, I, 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 it's, it's been, it's been, it's kind of fascinating when you see it all. And I think it's because we're saying, well, guys get really lean, but that's what a men's bodies naturally do. Women are supposed to carry heavier, but it becomes a deficit of, um, not a deficit. It becomes a, the weight becomes a burden when you're doing CrossFit because you're doing such a high volume of reps, which would never be, you know, encapsulated in any kind of sport like we do. And, um, and that's why I think they've, they, their bodies have kind of skewed this way only in that one category of fitness. Yeah, no, I just, I mean, but just like from like a physical, like, so uh, when I competed in the games in 08, and then I think uh, when you competed in the games, I was announcing when, uh, like oh. at, at, at the deal in San Diego. And it was pretty interesting to like, uh, and then like seeing like the evolution of going to the games, just seeing like the level of, uh, I guess, like you'd say leanness, but just muscle, like the amount of like muscle these girls were carrying. I like, you know, and you're thinking like, well, not everybody's taking drugs, you know, and I trained China and I like, I saw her physical development. So I knew, um, you know, that she wasn't taking anything, but like, you're, you're seeing like some development. I'm just like, man, like I uh, like, and then you look at like, you know, volume and intensity and the idea that girls can handle a heavier load, more, you know, central nervous system efficiency in the volume, mm -hmm. three to four workouts, um, you know, probably eating in a caloric deficit, super high protein. I mean, all these things. And like, these girls are coming out. I'm like, you realize that any of these girls could probably in about three or four weeks of just dieting, fucking win a bodybuilding show. Mm hmm. You know, mm -hmm. but that's so that's my question, though, because I do think there's outliers like I've been accused of using steroids because when I get lean, like I'll get veins into my chest and neck and my arms. But like my development, I know, is very feminine. And so and I remember China Cho. I love following her in the SoCal division. So it's like uh, but I know you're always going to have some outlying DNA genetics that just build muscle so well. I actually am one of those people. I can, that, that's my DNA. And when you look at some of these people, I'm just wondering, don't you question some of the drug use of those women? Well, I mean, we, the, the men as well, of course, but we like. We had a good uh, conversation with Dave Spitz about uh, girls that uh, do a certain, like certain sports at a younger age. And his deal was that girls like uh, China or Colleen Fauch, those girls that do yep. that swam at a high level at, from a very young age, when they get out of the water and they start lifting weights, they put on muscle at a higher rate than girls that don't. And Dave made some really interesting observations about the girls that uh, like did a ton of training, like you know, gymnastics. Like, yeah, gymnastics, high level things as a young age, mm -hmm. and it kind of developed these neuromuscular pathways and you know uh, energy systems that when all of a sudden they went into something like this, they started putting on muscle at a greater rate. Yeah, I mean, I did gymnastics starting at seven years old. So I was highly competitive for 10 years, went to an elite level, I ended up doing it in high school, and in college when I was when I switched to track. And that's why I think because of those, I mean, and it's not just gymnasts and swimmers, like any, what you do with your kids now, especially in that those, those late elementary school years to junior high is going to dictate their future of their ability to process glucose to to watch their you know to grow muscle to be to be adaptable to create that physical literacy that if you don't do then they will have a very difficult time adapting to it as you go down the road if ever getting it that's why i'm starting at 10 months yeah <laughs> now my 10 month old we get you know three four sit-ups uh, a day well, about five six black flips what 20 you're, twists. What you're going to see is that, um, and I saw this with my daughters, where like things go, like they were, um, they started in gymnastics when they were like three, and then we started mm -hmm. swimming at a pretty young age, and they kind of like didn't like swimming, 
and now all of a sudden I kind of was like, okay, we won't swim anymore. Yeah. But like, now we swim in the pool, and like my daughters yeah. were like, they were racing the other day. I had them do like ten laps, and we timed it. We did the whole deal, and they were like, I think I'd like to go out for swim team. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I think you should. And um, the the thing that's a bummer is they went to gymnastics three days a week, but because of this COVID deal, they closed the gymnastics place. And like, so we got like, you know, go up to the gym and work on some stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, just not having that access. Uh, I think it's been a good thing because now they're like, you know, chomping at the bit, trying to figure out like, hey, mom, when do we get to go to gymnastics? Yeah. We go to gymnastics That's camp. Cool. We want to do this. And I think just like sitting at home competing against each other all the time, like now they want to go out and try to compete against other people. Sweet. Hmm. Well, but it's kind of an interesting segue to, you know, when you look at, I mean, I get people in health and wellness, uh, sorry, sorry, in my community, when people come to me as a trainer, as a coach, a lot of the times it's because they didn't have those foundations when they were younger. And it's very scary, it's very uncomfortable, it's embarrassing to come, whether it's a 25, a 35, 55 year old and say, where do I start? Because, you know, even you could you can compare fitness and working out to learning a language. A lot of times people are nervous to learn a new language because they're so afraid of the pronunciation, saying it incorrectly. And if they can get over the fear of how to say it and practice it, they'll actually learn the language quite quickly. I mean, there's, there's actually great research that's being done on this. So the same as it ad- ad- adapts to your training. Your girls got that water experience. So when it was time to jump back in, when your gymnastics classes were shut, they're like, I know this. It feels familiar. Let me jump in. There was no resistance. And further, they actually got to excel and now are interested in movement, by the way, not for weight loss, not for photos or for Instagram, but because they're genuinely interested in pushing themselves and competing you know, against other kids, like how cool, but because they were given, that's why I call it physical literacy. Cause imagine starting that now. Yeah. And that's what most people are doing. Well, the, um, the funny part too, is, uh, they're also like my daughters just started, they're eight now they're going to turn nine, uh, at the end of the year, but they started noticing, um, like they're, I guess they're more aware now that certain kids are in good shape and others aren't. And that's an interesting mm. one. Like, uh, like one of like, uh, you know, they asked me, they were like, oh, you know, these other kids aren't in very good shape. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, I'm like, why do you think? And they're like, well, if you should see what they eat for lunch. And like, he's like, and my, my one daughter is a little more shy. My other daughter would be on this podcast right now telling us all how it is. <laughs> uh, but like, she's like, yeah, no, they eat like crap. They eat food that's in plastic like at Lunchables and like she goes into this whole thing and has all these theories about, you know, this and like goes into the whole deal. And I'm like, man, these kids are so switched on, but you know, I mean, they are a product of us. Yes. Oh no, sorry to interrupt you. I just, I'm just thinking that's so great because so many kids don't understand what's in what they're eating. Like, I I mean, they, they just go and they grab and it's the vending machine or it's, or it's given by their parents because their parents maybe weren't taught better, you know? And it's like your kids can say, they're unhealthy. They didn't say anything about their appearance. They didn't say anything about, they didn't judge them in any way. They said, well, they're eating food out of plastic. They're eating crackers and cheese for lunch. That's not good. What they know, understand is fuel and good energy for their bodies because your household taught them that. Yeah. I mean, then uh, after we have steaks, they all like do this like posing routine where they're like, they'll flex and they'll be like, steak. And it's pretty funny. Like they just do it. And my, my little boy who's four, he does the same thing. He like starts flexing all the time and he's like, steak. I'm like, it's good. It's got the Mio thighs. I That's joke. Awesome. Yeah, I, I joke because he's, he's he's real stout right now because he's drinking a lot of milk. And I'm like, oh, boy, look look at the Mio thighs. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's a funny <laughs> kid, man. He's a funny, funny little dude. I, I like that term fitness literacy. It's good. 
that you've you presented here. My question is behavior change. So you said you what was your degree in in school that you mentioned? Yeah, so sports administration. Um, I ended up narrowing in on that because not only does it give you you get like the kinesiology, the biomechanics, which is really great, but you get sports psychology, sport marketing, sport law, you know, psych, psych 101. It really, I mean, at least for our degree at Kansas, like you really got such a breadth of, of classes that kind of fit all into that. And that gave you a lot of base tools to then apply. So what were some of the, the revelations or callbacks to school that you had when you really started working with fitness populations or people with very low physical literacy to get them to invest and determine that they can change their behavior? Well, it's funny. So one of the questions you asked me in your email, and I'm going to come back to this was like, you know, what is like my mission? And it's funny because I got into a, a tad on my Instagram yesterday because I posted the blackout Tuesday and they're like stick to fitness and this and that. And I was like, if fitness is all I did, I wouldn't be a leader and people wouldn't be following me on here, you know, and I, I and I was very respectful, but it, it becomes kind of interesting about staying in our lane. And if it's not sets and reps, I'm not allowed to talk about it. And so I feel like it's important to make clear that like my mission, I, I do like starting the conversation with people through fitness. I, I always joke it's the gateway drug to far bigger conversation. Um, and there's this, the, the way I kind of illustrate this as if you think about a baby in the womb, right? A child is actually living with only half its heart because it's submerged in liquid because there's no need obviously for the other side of the heart to be pumping in the oxygen, transferring it and pushing it out. And in this moment of miracle of birth, <clears throat> the other side of the heart turns on. Just, it was built, you were born with everything you needed to survive in that moment. And I maintain that most of us are living with half our hearts, built with everything we need to survive and thrive and we're just switched off right? And going to your question about behavior, a couple things happen. One, it's, it's so basic and it's, so it's not sexy, but you don't know what you don't know. And personal testimony of a feeling an experience, a triumph provides pride. And there's no, to me, greater motivator than pride of knowing I can, I did. And now I have evidence of what I'm capable of. And that's why I go to working out. It's like the amount of people that I can't run. Well, let's try a quarter mile. And before you knew it, you do it. And then you improve that quarter mile. And then you're up to a mile. Now I've got measured progress, not just on paper, but in that person and how they feel. And that to me is the impetus of behavior change, of wanting to try more and do more. And what happens is those correlations don't live in the gym saying, well, I improved my bench this week. I bet I can improve my squat. Yes, that's hand in hand, but it doesn't just live in the gym. And that's why we all are as coaches are doing this. That's why you guys have a podcast because we know that behavior and that knowledge and that personal testimony then goes outside the gym and we get to start to use it in our conversations with whether it's approaching someone you have interested in, asking for a raise, having a difficult conversation with your spouse. We start to realize we're capable because we have proof of it. And I think that's the, that's the repetition that's required and the muscle that needs to be worked more because sets and reps I can prescribe, prescribe all day. I'm not bad at that, but what I'm better at is switching on the other side of people's hearts to make sure they realize what's going on and what's really possible for them. I can't believe somebody said that. Uh, you know, we, we, I post up a black tile and uh, actually was hoping for somebody to come fucking tell me to stay in my lane because <sighs> at that point I would have been like, <sighs> let's fucking battle. 
But um, no, I, <laughs> I, I just had some guy be like, all lives matter. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Nobody's saying all lives don't matter. But mm-hmm. sometimes when, when you see a house on fire, you got to put out that fire. Yeah, it's and, a good um, You know, like it's, uh, it's a sad deal. But yeah, no, I, uh, I think the problem is, is that people have kind of made it so emotional. Like pe- people can only judge things based upon them. Well, I've never seen this. I've never been treated this way. So uh, therefore it doesn't exist. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's I've never been on the moon. Does it mean other people didn't go there? Mm-hmm. Like you can come oh, so on. You're, you're a moon. What you, you think we went on the moon, huh? <laughs> Let's I get do. into it. Let's we get can't no, go I'm, to- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, let's do, uh, I do want to go back to what you were talking about in terms of this, this level of fear and along what Tex had asked you, uh, you know, I feel like I was actually just talking to one of our coaches who's visiting us and his dad kind of like could probably benefit from some behavior change. He had some heart issues and, but in terms of like that interfamilial, whether it's to a spouse or maybe to a parent or a sibling, have you, are there any tools that you could arm our listeners with that you've had success with when individuals who are in that, that very, that state of fear and afraid to take the leap, you know, that, that have allowed you to, to earn their trust for them to listen to you? I mean, I honestly, um, I always ask them to invest the time to play out the story. Okay, like fear can be very stifling in starting and progressing and thinking differently. So I'm like, fine, don't make any changes. Don't do any. Stay right there. And imagine you a year from now or five years from now. And they usually start to cry or get angry or get frustrated because they're like, I can't. I can't keep this up. I go, well, okay, then let's start with this small shift. And it has to be small. It, it, it has to be. I think anytime you have any of those massive shifts, it doesn't, it's not as real and it becomes uh, an active action versus an act of actual like behavior chain that's a change that's owned. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask them to like really live in it and, and be in it because I think what starts to get happen and there are people that do progress very well and are in good spots and then lose it. And those are the people that are the hardest. Like I had it, where did it go? And how do I start again? And I just, you know, we're really adaptable as people. That's one of our greatest qualities, but all of all, also one of our, our actually most detrimental. Because let's say I know what it feels like to live at a 10 out of 10, right? It's, it, it's like the best I've felt, like girls on their wedding day or guys after a championship, this is my 10. And then we drift down to like an eight out of 10. And we know it's about an eight, but we don't think, you know, well, we're right near 10 and we don't have to be top, you know, you know, always in harvest, right? Always doing our best, right? And then eight becomes our 10 and we drift to a six. And before you know it, you're at a four. And that adaptation process is what I mostly see at any level. And that's when they get to the four and the 10 feels so far away. But again, play out the script, play out the storyline. If you can't stay here, you got to start to find small actions to start to move you. Not to a 10, but let's get back to a six. And I think those increments, like anything, compared to any kind of strength training, you don't start someone with a squat with a 225 bar on their back. You start with a bar or none. Why would it be any different? But the difference is, is now we're somehow comparing and uh, stereotyping ourselves, not just in comparison to others, but like a former us. And we want it now and it's not real. And I don't know why the grace is gone from the way we train on a mental, uh, emotional behavior conduit as we do with our any kind of training conduit. Did, um, 
did the biggest loser, um, I know we've discussed it, you know, privately, but did the biggest loser adjust this thinking? Because, I mean, you know, you're talking about something made for TV that's in Hollywood and, like, like I was, uh, I've, I, I love watching The Biggest Loser because um, for somebody who tends to not be very emotional, like seeing that level of emotion was always really interesting to me and to see like, like the people got there not just out of some bad decisions, but there was always this like massive amount of emotional baggage that they, you know, that you get a chance to see that like just like they're in this shape, not just because they made some bad decisions, but there was like this emotional baggage that's like, resulted in them turning into you know or putting where on a ton at. of weight yeah and where they're at so and then i was always amazed at one like how kind of i'm all just say it like fucked up the trainers were and how they like treated them and these people i mean and the fact that they called them losers was always kind of weird mm-hmm. like was that uh, uh i mean i know you did it to you know for hollywood and you probably went in there and have some amazing stories you know with these transformations but did that like adjust your thinking at all and if you want to talk about that Gosh, a little. Loser is a tough, t- a tough category, especially as I've gotten out of it. Um, hindsight's always really powerful. A couple of things go on. You know, you, you alluded to it, and my contestants would tell you, you know, uh, it's never what they eat, it's why. And the show needs to spend more time on why. And unfortunately, you know, it, it's funny, they show all these workouts and these challenges, but... 99% of the work I did, you don't even see it. It's off camera. It's when the cameras went away and mo- and the other trainers go home, I would stay and talk and work through what's really going on. And the pressure of the show that I never liked that was a part of it integrally was that the only way, everyone's like, because I've been undefeated. I've not lost. My contestants always win. We win the challenges because if I get their weight to come down, I get another week with them and what I can do in a week with someone, especially with that kind of intensive counseling and coaching. And so the pressure to lose became so high for our team. And, you know, we're competitive. We want to beat the other teams, but we did it safely and thoughtfully so we had more time together. And now what's ironic is, you know, we, we had such success in my seasons and yet, I mean, right now I'm doing a contest with my two, my teams, they're team Jen versus team Jen. We have a reunion this fall and they're trying to, because a lot of them have gained weight and it's, it goes back to Texas question on behavior because you, you take these people that are going through and, or have undergone massive emotional trauma, have coped with food. I've taken that mechanism away and I've replaced it with movement, like working out and competitiveness, great distraction, right? And now we're still not working any of the muscles that we are required for them to be healthy at home because we grocery shop for them, right? We drive them where we need to go. They're not working. They're not responsible for their children. They don't have to deal with a a spouse, a partner's like their emotional distresses or feelings because they're quarantined. There's no magazines. There's no phone calls. There's nothing. So I get 100% obsession onto food in a control way and into cr- and training in a control way. And they go home and they're thrust back into the world of 12 hour days, full-time parent, full-time stress. And you bet that now they've got to go walk down the aisle now to like the pharmacy to pick up whatever medication and they're going down the chips, they're going down the candy. And we've never prepared them for that. And so of course, the one thing that we never address the whole show, they're going to go right back to to cope with. 
And that to me, that when the show ends is when the work begins for me as their coach. And that's why I still work with my people. But it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. And um, it's why even you, John, is interested and loves the show because you don't have to be 400 pounds to understand the pain they're feeling or to have this commonality of the human condition of what they're struggling with. And that's why the show is, is so powerful and so important when in the right hands. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I loved it for, uh, not only like the drama, but like, um, just like, like, like the emotion and like the, you know, like the almost like, like the self-fulfilling prophecy, like there's like so much emotional damage, you know, and like if you were to think about it, like most people you see, like you just see the veneer, but those people have effectively like changed their structure and who they are. And it's like, you know, because you see somebody that heavy and you assume like something is wrong. Like there's, you know, this is their crying out for help. This is their signal flare. I mean, nobody gets to a six, 800 pounds or 450 pounds without, you know, having some serious emotional trauma. And then, like, seeing people, like, kind of, you know, go through and, you know, their body hurts and this and kind of go through that whole kind of challenge. But um, just it felt like, I don't know what you could say, like, uh, like not disingenuous, but just really fucked up that they would, like, put these people in these situations and then force them to do these things. And then cameras around to see because they know that these people are a lot of, uh, like, uh, emotionally fragile. But then you're like, well, they're helping them. And they're doing like it, it's a it was just like this weird thing where I'm like, this is really fucked up that they're putting these people in these situations. But maybe this is what these people need to get out of this, uh, you know, uh, vicious cycle and help. And then, you know, but you're setting the coaches and then you're like, oh, Bob seems like an all right guy. I met him. Agilian seemed like a fucking nightmare. And then the black dude <laughs> uh, I really liked. He was super positive. Um, but just like the dichotomy and like the uh, stress of the trainers and. Uh, it just, man, I, I really liked it. It was, uh, but just because of like the emotion and it just kind of felt like a train wreck. Like I was watching well, a train wreck. Really what's really fucked up is most, yes, any one of my contestants, if they had not been chosen, they wouldn't have considered making the change. Every one of them watched Biggest Loser with their carton of ice cream or with their big pizza every Monday night until they got on the show. And if they weren't picked, well, we're going to have to just wait another year. And you were like, what? How, why? And that's a why that they, it, it sometimes it feels like, I mean, it's why teams work. I mean, I think, I think there's really something to, to be like the, the love on my team's real. The team is real. And, and, and anybody that's been on a team, I, I felt it in college. You know, I have felt it in different parts of my life, nothing replaces that feeling of I've got you and that my effort and work affects you too. So it creates a built-in accountability. I think about my favorite coaches in my career as an athlete, uh, it, knowing that, not just that I had to answer to them, but knowing that my performance reflected us both was all I needed to push me forward. And I think that there's a lot, you know, sometimes you just really have to be honest with what you need and be like, I do need a workout partner. I do need help with, with, with someone making me sure I'm accountable and going to the gym. I, you know, whatever it becomes like, you've got to have those things by knowing yourself. And we're told you should be strong enough. Why aren't you committed? What's wrong with you that you can't do this? Because it's hard. I struggle every day not to call dominoes. Me, and I teach it, but I choose not to. But that's where I've gotten this mental work done. And they're still on their way. I studied 
behavior change a lot in, in grad school, great opportunity, and they worked through models. And one of my favorite models is simple trans-theoretical model for change. And the yes. first, first three stages, we have pre-contemplation. That's making a lifestyle change is not even in our ear. And our family doesn't know, care, or this is why we would pack poor lunches for our kids. We don't know. Then contemplation is that maybe you're watching the busy, biggest loser, you see this potential opportunity, you're like, maybe I can do that. And then there was a stage we were taught, it was called preparation. That's where you start doing little things and making some small changes. But I like almost rephrasing that for determination, that mental mm -hmm. checklist that you were, you were presenting there. It's like, I feel it's a better label for that, that stage than preparation, because that's, preparation sounds like work. But determination is the mental, almost the mental change of, yeah, I can. This precedes action and, and going to the gym and moving, but it's a set, it's a goal. It is that foreseeing the, the relapse potentially, but you got the mental reps in before. Well, and also, you know, expecting the relapse. Expect it. This is going to happen. So, like, to me, again, walk through the storyline. I'm, I know I've got these things coming up this summer. I know I'm going to plan for these things. I know I'm going to have a few mornings where I don't feel like it. Walk through the relapse so you know how to get back on. I always joke, the great thing about the wagon is we always let you back on it. You can always get back on. You know, there's no judgment because we've all fallen off. But it, the reality is, is then you're not shell-shocked. Like, oh, I've, I've, I've done it. This is it. It's over, you know, couch flip. Like, it's done. It's like, no. You know, your determination has got you to start. And then the determination, I think, actually works hand in hand with the, the fourth step being action, obviously. You know, it, it's got to be there. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. 
And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars Episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. Uh, where did I want to go? I forgot. Oh, I should have wrote it down. That's why I got notes now. Mm-hmm. The, uh, oh, let's go. So going into like accountability and team, you know, this is something that we have, we recognize just as a team here and training partners and things like that. And it's, uh, I guess, shameless plug, why we call our programs on Train Heroic teams mm-hmm. because it does create a, the, the community aspect of these teams is absolutely astounding. And we just got word from our friends that you're going to be joining us on Train Heroic Space. We, we started a few weeks ago. It's yeah. rocking and rolling. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Epic. So I guess knowing what you know, working with these individuals from your time on The Biggest Loser and just being a coach since then and everything, how are you planning on getting some of that pushed out through the app and through your programs? Tell us about what you're doing. Maybe we can steal some ideas. Um, thank you. You know, it's been really fun um, because, you know, when you look at <laughs> I, it's like train heroic is the software and I am the hardware. I have to, or the heartware. Wah, wah. Ooh, um, ooh, I like that. I just thought of that. We've, we've been um, saying that for years. <laughs> Heart, hardware, hold on. Hold, yeah, hardware. Let me write Spell that. <laughs> H-A-R-T? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, you know, so what it is, is um, obviously the interface is great. You've used it. It's, it's easy to follow. But now it becomes the challenge and also the joy of, of how I start to infuse what some of that feeling of team feels like. It is... Um, it is like, I'm teaching live workouts. Like I put like the, every week we team train. So like you get a zoom link, you come to me, I'm blasting probably green day or something and we're going and we're doing, it. you know, like to me, it's becoming, it's, it's, it's an, it's, it's really, to me, the challenge is getting people to open up and not just say good workout today, really describe what's going on. If it was a hard day, why, what went well? Where did you miss out? Like letting people start to share and have a voice in the group. And what started as like, I mean, I've already got like over a hundred people signed up, which has been really amazing. And I had like five people that were talking. Now I've got a consistently like 25 people that are talking and sharing. And what's cool is that they've got now um, a, a feeling of um, ownership, right? This is yes, a team I created, but it's not mine. It's ours. And so when someone has a question, they jump in and help. If, if someone's struggling, they support. It cannot just be one person. And I think that's where a lot of trainers and coaches get off track. This is not a dictatorship. I'm here to program, provide love, guidance, and order. But we are doing this together. And there's a thing about it when you know that when you're not here today, I'm, I miss you. You are missed. We feel the difference now we have belonging, now we have purpose, and we have a team that's larger than just showing up and working out for our waistline. It, it, because the, the working out becomes a side effect of what we're really here for. And that's the power of what, to me, my team, I should say uh, the team I am building and working with is about. Like, that's what's special. And yes, of course, people are losing weight, gaining muscle, feeling stronger. Like, 
like feeling revived during this quarantine. Those are all amazing. And those are side effects of what's really going on, but they're starting to step into who they are and there's no greater feeling than that. That's epic. Yeah. The, the, we were just talking today about, you know, what could that live training experience look like on our side of the fence? But I think that is certainly the way that, that the expectation is going to be going for people who are training from home. They need, they're going to want more guidance, right? They're going to more so even know when we spin up content and as you're putting your content together within your program, there's plenty of opportunity to narrate that through written word and even through the videos and demos and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But man, if you want to try and replicate that in-person experience and that group and team experience, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Well, no. yeah. And like, and I'll do walkthroughs like the night before the workout, I always do a walkthrough. Here's what's going on. I know you're sore about this. I, I mean, I'll find different funny things and post it on our rest days and give them points of interest. And, but to me, two, two major things happen when you, when you do like a live interactive space, which I can push through that. I can finally see them. You know, and I've got, I've joked, I was like, I got this microphone and I am like face up in the screen. I see everybody. And at this point, I know, I know their normal body positions. I know who didn't used to have a, a push up with their knees, you know, up and now they do. I know who's been there the last three weeks. I know who skipped last week and who I'm going to talk shit to. I, like, I, I have it now. And like, by the way, the workout will be done and we'll sit and talk for an extra 10, 15 minutes. That's it. Like, of course, like, cause by the way, of course we can talk, you know, what, what's the best breakfast? What's the best fuel for after lunch? Are carbs? Okay. I, all of those things are easy, but it's not really stuff I give a shit about mm -hmm. because I can do this part better than most. Mm -hmm. And that's what people really need. That's what they need because the rest will come. Well, don't, don't you think a lot of people feel alone in this deal? Like that's kind of what I always thought, like in like the, you know, the training situation and uh, like, I'm by far the worst person for this whole deal because, uh, you know, previous job and what we do in the team environment. So I, I always imagine like these kind of like free agent type individuals who are out on their own, they're at home, they don't know where to turn. And all of a sudden, like, you know, they're working through all these things. And a lot of times they just need to know that somebody's in their corner. And I think what's, what's been kind of universal in terms of this programming and training and when we used to teach a bunch of seminars is like they show up uh, assuming that they're part of the team like they're you know they bought merch they have this they understand the lingo and they're like you know they're accepted within the club and you're like dude you're on my team come on it's just like we're we're picking teams up for basketball or you know kickball or whatever you want to play but you know you're on my team and I think the sooner that you can kind of get people like off the bench and onto the field behind you or with you or next to you, however it is. And you're like, you know, constantly reinforcing that piece. I think people buy in and they feel like, uh, you know, the age old, like, you know, a stick you can break or a twig you can break, but a bundle of, tw of twigs becomes unbreakable. So that idea of yeah. like bundling things together and being like, Hey man, we're a whole bunch of twigs here and this isn't going to break us. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's a, a really powerful thing when people realize that they're not alone. And um, the thing we really like to train heroic and especially the workouts is showing people like there's people all over the world that are doing this, that there's this kind of uh, underground community of individuals that is like minded that you just happen to find. And, um, you know, like, you know, you can make analogies to Fight Club or whatever you want, but I think people are really searching for that. Well, it's funny. I mean, you, you mean, I, you know, I don't think it, I think maybe it took quarantine to make people realize they've been feeling alone, but this is how people always feel. There is no difference. I'm not seeing any change in the words being used, the feelings being express, expressed. 
most people, and you could have a household full of people still feel alone. And this is something that's given people the opportunity to perhaps do something about it. You know, I'm sad for what our country's going through and for the chaos it's card and the cost, pardon me, and the deaths that are being experienced. But we have a time, we have an opportunity to actually do something now about it. And, I, and it, what, what's powerful, you kind of talked about it. You know, you have these like-minded people that are within the group, but like what's really neat is we have like one of the gals, like people have been struggling a little bit. And this girl, she's in Barcelona. She's like, I'm at 72 days of quarantine and it's my first day out. And she just gave us a little bit of a message and like she went to the water and there was like a boat she got on. And we, I mean, guys, I was crying. And I was like, this is why I'm doing this because it was about her today and her, not the coach fueling, cracking the whip. Did you get your workouts in? Did you do your da 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 da? It was about her giving our entire group perspective on where we are, you know, what she's experienced her resilience, what, you know what I mean? Like it was so special. And that, and that I think becomes the seed of a really great team and what unifies us as that bundle. That's sweet. What's it, what's the, what have you called it, Jen? Does it have a name? We, the Weaver's um, uh, Well, you guys really set the bar <laughs> high. I, I, I'm, I've, <laughs> you have so many teams and I love the names and we, I don't know, honestly, like I kept trying to think of something and I'm like, Stop. I just was trying too hard. It's literally Team Jen. That's it. But, that's, uh, but that is actually has cross-promotion because of The Biggest Loser. The team I Jen. know. I know. It's that's, perfect. It's uh, why it kind of worked. <laughs> all, all, all the uh, the team, or the names for our teams come out of, like, just, uh, like, stupid things within obscure, my own training. Like, yeah, obscure, yeah. like... Like I, I've, but a bit I've, of nostalgic as well. well but like, um, I played with a bunch of like country strong, like kind of farm kids uh, when I was in the NFL, and this dude made the point. He's like, you know, we always called it like cock strong, whatever. He's like, no, I'm field strong. He's like, you know, we yeah. trained, we we worked out in the field, and I was like, damn, that was a good name. For I'm going to use that one day yeah. when I start this, this company. company. And, <laughs> and, and and then our other joke was like, when we'd see somebody, be like, oh, that guy bought a place on Jack Street. That guy looks pretty oh. good. So, like, that was the joke of, like, when we saw somebody that, like, got in good shape or was looking pumped up, or like, man, that guy's over on Jack Street. What are they selling over there on Jack Street? So it was just this joke, and that wow. was where the program. So all these things just came from tongue-in-cheek uh, you know, tongue humor or just, you know, obscure references that I figured, nah. And then you're searching the hashtags, and you're like, oh, nobody's used this one. I'm fucking on this. J- Jen, what, oh, was yeah. your, what was your gladiator name? Oh, Phoenix. Come on. <sighs> Yeah. Well, we no, knew that, I, I literally thought about calling it the B team. You know, I mean, it's like the A team, the best. I'm like, yo, the B team. We don't give a shit about what place we finish in. We finish. We have this. And I had this whole ethos behind it. And I'm like, you just, I don't know. My instincts are like, it's forced. It'll be there. But yeah. like within my team, like I have days I call body justice. Like, like justice for your body. <laughs> you must stretch. You must do low back health. And, you know, so like I, ha- I feel like I put my those off center yeah. weird genisms into like into infused into the group that way. Um, but very mm-hmm. much inspired and, and, and supported by, you know, like my favorite is like with the third monkey. That's my, my, my latest, like, I was like, God, they're good. They're good. <laughs> yeah. You got to fight like the third monkey waiting on the ark and it just started raining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, so like the little history, we had developed this austere training program when we were doing a bunch of stuff with the military. So they wanted yeah. like an in-gym, but then like this austere program that involved like cinder blocks and all this. So we had all these templates and uh, we were like, man, maybe we should just launch that program. And that was what the third monkey and you guys were, I remember we were sitting over there and you're like, what should we come up with? But I, 
I tell my son, who's I call the I call my kids the monkeys. And so my little yeah. boy, I'm like, you're the third monkey. You got to fight like the third monkey. <laughs> and we came down there like my idea. I'm like, third monkey? They're kind of monkeys. Yeah, and it just kind of flowed. It, yeah, it made a lot of sense. That's Narrative great. is good. But uh, no, I will, I will get. I will get there. <laughs> you're the, the I guess you know we've been in this collectively this fight since 20 we were just doing kind of a post-mortem like 2014 right when uh when we launched uh field strong on Mm -hmm. the wordpress so about six years and what has become abundantly apparent in the track that you're running on unsolicited feedback you know here it comes is as long as if it's fun and authentic coming out of you and like the narrative and the isms as we would call them the, the crew's gonna love it, you know. And if they don't, yeah. they're not. They shouldn't be there anyways, yeah, they're, they're you know. Right and, and it's kind of it's kind of a cool, self fulfilling type of uh, experience because these. Then what ultimately happens, like you said, like you you just you're kind of the flint and the rock, and, and the fire starts to burn, and then all of a sudden, the community just takes over. And like we have that going on Field Strong Jack Street, and Third Monkey is a relatively new program for us, so like we're, we're anticipating that like. I'm curious how this little child grows into. Well, well you know, we uh, like we follow the hashtags on Instagram, and uh, who's our boy that does, he he does the third monkey every day on his front porch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he like posts these pictures, sets up or uh, posts a video, and it's like him in some like suburban neighborhood with like a stoop and a step, and the dude's out there absolutely slaughtering himself, and like like <laughs> I'm, I'm like watching this, and he'll tag me and stuff. I'm like, dude. We gotta like send this guy a shirt. We gotta yeah. like like yeah. f- like fly this dude in as our like special guest. <laughs> like I, I like I, I like I always tag like whenever he tags me, I'm always like, man, this is so awesome. Like mm-hmm. I could watch this all day just because it's it's the idea that you know quarantine people fighting for normalcy, like the idea yeah. of being disconnected but connected into this virtual place, and then here's this information, and this dude just goes to Home Depot, gets 50 bucks worth of stuff, and is killing it. And his neighbors have got to be like, <laughs> what is he doing? I just picture the burbs. Remember with Tom Hanks yeah. and Rumsfeld? And, like, that's what I see. Like and That's what it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love it. I, I think it's the funniest thing. But, yeah, the um, I mean, we started with one, and it was just people were looking for other things. Like, hey, do you have a team that does this? And they just kind of, we just kind of grew. And, uh, like, yeah. there was never... A concerted effort to have this much uh it just kind of like the people asked for it and then we had this need for it and it was just kind of like when the need arose we kind of filled the hole and next thing you yeah. know like people created different personas and archetypes and um i, I honestly I, I part of the reason why i was uh, so happy to connect with you on it because i saw so much potential in um you being able to deliver your personality in right. that in that form because like when people are like oh do you think and i'm like yeah, I think you'd be all right at it. Um, but I think, like, it's it takes a certain personality of, like, you know, and you're kind of, like, a little bit of self-deprecating humor, but also a lot of, like, pop culture stuff. So, like, we all connect on that. And I think, like, that's the stuff people really dig on. Uh, yeah. And then you find people that kind of fit within it. And then next thing you know, you're like, dude, these people are funny. Like, let's, like, like, like these are our people over here. And it's, uh, yeah. it's exciting. Well, it's been funny. I think one thing, I, Epiphany, I did have during this is I was always... I was far more concerned about the how than the why for myself. Like I know my why and that only continues to get more and more important to me, but the how is going to change. And I had to allow myself to let it change because after Biggest Loser, I'm like, I've got to be on TV again. I've got to, I've got to get this next book out. And I've got, and I'm like, you know, a great quote, mother, the, you know, the mother of an, uh, what is, I'm going to mess it up. Hold on. The mother of invention is necessity. 
And I thought, just shut up, Jen, like, and listen. And as we entered into this time, it became, I'm not like, oh, I have to, if I stuck with my plan, I wouldn't have been doing this app. I had to listen. And this is the how, like I said, this is my how. And it will continue to evolve and grow. And like yours, look at you've changed. You have five teams now on Train Heroic. Uh, we're up there at Baker's Dozen. No, we're we have nine. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have, have nine, nine teams. <laughs> yeah, but we have like five flagship programs. I would call right. them, I guess. But but right. Then we have but then nine. like your how your how continues to go. You know what I mean? It's so it's like so you know I don't know where we're gonna be next next in it. Gosh, by December, by the time you know your your power athlete, you know event comes up if it doesn't happen it doesn't mean power athlete dies like it, it's continuing every day of the year right there through what you've developed and that's what to me is is kind of exciting about it yeah the um we did the symposium for a number of years and we're not doing it this year but because i think like it um like i don't know like maybe it was time of year or whatever it is but you know I, I'll, I'll tell you the one the one thing which feels like the year's incomplete almost is the canceling of summer strong where we'd always oh. get to hang out with Jen and see it and like mm -hmm. get to bullshit with Gunner and talk shit to him. And uh, like it was, uh, I, I don't think this whole thing became real until I saw Summer Strong canceled. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean fucking Summer Strong's canceled? Because we were just at Winter Strong and I'm like, oh, like thank God I fucking went to that. But I was like, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I talked to Woodski, uh, was it two Couple, days ago? Oh, yeah, well, we, we had him on the podcast and I talked to him two days ago and he's like, it's going to be so weird. Like, I'm so used to going and connecting and seeing these people that I have these great relationships with, but I don't stay as connected as I should. And he's like, I just feel like something like the year is not going to be complete. And I'm like, well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should just start 2021 now. Well, on that note, John, we did evolve the how, and we invited some of our favorite people that we didn't get the opportunity to catch up with at Summerstrong. And now we have this series of podcasts with those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And back to our symposium, going to, again, how and why is just a great, a great way to frame things we asked in the in the middle of the fight last year, which was one of our more heavy lifts to get the show off the road. Oh my God, two venues, two days. Like what a bad. We we. But it's like, why are we doing this? It all was the whole for two years. We were focused on this how point, and then it's why, and it just we needed a breather to really iron that out, and it was to yeah. bring people together. And well, is there a smarter, more effective way that maybe serves? what the why of the organization versus the why of the event and there was a there was a, de, a de, delineation that we couldn't like uh rationalize you know mm. so so there's like a this year was meant to be recalibrating and we yep. did have a we did have an event to do kind of like a think tank and a workshop with our block one coaches ne network but then that timed in late april and as we all know that kind of that got pushed out with the restrictions and well, I mean, some summer strongs like that. I mean, it's growing into this huge thing. I mean, these guys like in the shop like cook for three days and like, like just having put on events. You see the uh, amount of circus and shutdown and the whole thing that those guys probably go through. And like every year is this idea that it has to be grander, it has to be bigger. You have to do this. And uh, man, maybe it'll you know recharge it in such a way that it makes it that much better. You mm -hmm. know, because I know Bert's like dying on this thing. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. It was actually made me happy. I mean, I, I, I always joke, I have no business being at Winter Strong. I think I got invited because I bought my first gun and Bert's like, you're ready. <laughs> and um, what's funny is because it's very, 
you know, outdoor, you know, it's a very different event than Summer Strong. It's not about strength and conditioning or health and wellness. It's about outdoors and shooting guns and just really stretching your limits in that category. And so really nobody gave a shit about me or John. Um, they actually forgot about us and we got to talk for about three hours, which was hilarious. <laughs> we, I was like, why have I never really talked to John before? And it's because when we're at Soren, or sorry, Summer Strong, um, he, he, he's got a line of people and I, I, I'm, I'm bouncing around, you know, we're, we never get a chance to sit there uninterrupted. And it was so funny because at one point we're sitting, we're probably two hours in at this point and probably at a point we should have wrapped up. Like, you know, we were done, just, you know, Woodski just walking around by himself. No one's bothering him. And he goes, oh, hey guys. <laughs> and we were like, hey. And so the three of us got to just kind of, you know, yeah. you know, girl gang it up and just hang out. And it, it gave us an opportunity to really do that. And it reminded me of how, it's funny, I remember because Bert talking about Summer Strong being like 500, it has to be the max. It just has to be the max. And then he's like, I'm over 600 again. You know, like, is he, how do you say no to people that want to come, but how then do you maintain the, the intimacy and the opportunity to talk in those, in, the, in, those, in these kind of coveted little circles? I, I, you know, I don't know, um, but it does make me miss it. You gotta, is a quote I got from school in Kansas. Sometimes you got to step in shit to appreciate a clean boot. And yeah. I miss, I miss Soranex this year very much. I, I would agree with that. And I think maybe that's what I, what I'm suggesting our team early on in that metaphor. Hey, look, there's some, there's a big pile of shit. Let's step, step in, in that <laughs> and let's see if it's better. And it like likely will be. And then, but from that, I think will help us. But you love like chaos. Like Luke is Captain Chaos. Like, yeah. like hey, you know what's be great if we did it at one venue? Why don't we do it at seven? And then we have to do like an. That like, was a miss. Uh, like, could have like, used. Uh, <laughs> could have used you guys pumping the brakes on that uh, one. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, it's kind of like uh, you know. Did we stop when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor and we're like, uh, Germans? Uh, the, uh, just let him go. He's on a roll. <laughs> but like, I, I think we become yeah. this like victims of, um, of like our own circumstance. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think we do this within the training. You do it when you own a gym, you do it in so many ways. Uh, like we've been doing this for X amount of years. This is our one, but you have to remember there's people that are just finding this stuff. Oh yeah. Like I have to remember that on the programs, like we've been doing this for X amount and we have all this intricacy mm-hmm. and whatever. And I have to remember there's somebody that's never heard of this that finds us today. And this is their day one. And this shit's all brand new to them. Mm-hmm. And then you treat it like, well, dude, where you been? We've been at this party for six years or we've been doing this for all these years. This is your first like, keg stand? Like, What's hold, wrong with you? Yeah. Like, Hey, we, you know, we've been drinking beers forever. And now all of a sudden you just turned 21. This is your first beer. And like, mm-hmm. Uh, like I remember um, at Oktoberfest, you know, like we showed up. I'd never been to Oktoberfest, and I was like, "This is the greatest thing." And this guy's like, "I've been coming every year for forty years." Some old dude I talked to, and I'm like, "Still a good time." He's like, "Yeah, yeah," but I mean, he had been to Oktoberfest for forty years. Like, that's the same thing. And I think on your programs, like realizing that there's people that are going to show up, and this is their first day, and like trying to remember that little mm-hmm. bit of like excitement, or you know, you go to Summer Strong, whatever, and. I, I, that's what I really liked. One on Winter Strong, uh, I liked that we got to sit and connect, and it was hilarious because everybody's like, "Okay, we're going to do this," and we just sat at the uh, the breakfast tables, and we're like, three hours later, we're like, "Oh shit, should we go do something?" But yeah. then, but then they also, I'm gonna start uh, mouth watering because I'm just such a fan of uh, uh, Neil's wife who cooked. Dude, the food, fuck, like <laughs> they like hunted animals, killed them, slaughtered them, cooked them gaucho style. Like, 
Like I've never seen like anything like that. Like I, I, I like to this day. I like I'll, I'll text uh, Neil and I'll be like, dude, that still was one of the the most like yes. Like the food was amazing, but just the cooking and the presentation and like like the interaction between people, like fucking, I've never seen anything like it. If anybody wants to see what he's talking about, go to their Instagram. It's called Forged to Table. And it's just because everything was done over under like the, the wood fire coals and just smoked like oh, for, for hours. I mean, they were up at 7 a.m. And I was I remember I took a picture of them behind like by like the sheep that they made or the lamb or something. And then hours later, after we've been sitting, like you just start to smell the aroma and the way it just kind of it was it was a big part of what made it feel so special. Dude, all of that. They uh, they butchered a whole sheep. Um, yeah. And then, like, splayed it out gaucho style on this, like, homemade rack. And then, like, tilted it over. Like, it was unreal. Like, I I was, yeah, like, they man. literally smoked it. Like, in yeah. Mason, like, it, like, the flame never touched it. It was, like, smoked. And, like, the heat of the fire just over, I don't know, eight hours, yeah. nine hours, cooked that, that, that thing. Un- unbelievable, man. Like, that part, oh. like... <clears throat> Like that was worth the price of admission. All the other stuff was cool to go see. Mm-hmm. Um, Bert's dad, who like must have had five thousand hats. Like every time I turned around, he had like another weirder hat. Like he had one <laughs> oh. that was like a coyote on one head. Like <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, Mr. Soren's got a lot of hats. And then like it, like there was some weird woodworker guy that he brought in that like it just it was so strangely eclectic that uh, mm-hmm. it was really pretty fun. I had a good I know it. It kind of brings you back to the sandbox a little bit too. Like. I just felt like, and it, and I feels this way at at Summerstrong as well. And I think that's I think maybe the magic that we're you know with the Kool Aid we're all drinking. It's just you, like everyone like obviously there are people that you recognize in the industry that are legendary have been in forever. But you just are so excited to like see someone that like do you want to build the sand castle? Yeah, okay, let's do it. Do you want to you know go pick up that rock over there and throw it in the water? Okay, like it feels so simple and like there i mean you don't have your cell phone out you don't you, you you know what i mean like we're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the back you know and snacking in between seminars and there's just a weird there's this revival of i don't know is it childhood i can't i don't know how to explain no, it, it I, just, I know exactly what you're saying the the only thing that missed from winterstrong was rudy reyes was not there in his underwear so I mean, which is usually the reason we go to Summerstrong is to see. Maybe you just didn't see him, and he was there. No, Ludi, watching. Rudy did not show up. Uh, he was supposed was, to be there day he of. Was, he just didn't show. Yeah, like he, I, like his girl um, Jade. Uh, I've not met her. I've heard about her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he he called me and was like, "Oh, I'm getting married." Um, I was like, "Okay, are, we, are you inviting me to a bachelor party?" I mean, I mean, that's really. The next That's why you're calling, right? Yeah, I'm like, I, <laughs> right? I can't imagine Rudy Reyes' bachelor party. It's either we're going to Iceland to go climb a mountain. Or, or the moon. Or the moon. <laughs> yeah. And Freddie Mercury's driving us there. Um, right. But uh, she was supposed to, uh, and then I think she was embroiled in some weird thing with uh, t- Turan Tactical he was telling me about, and I think they just didn't come. Oh, So okay. like there, there was a thing, I guess, where there was some like, uh, I don't know, maybe like, bad videos or something got released on the internet and like some sexist deal. And so I know like they were dealing with that cause I hit him up and he's like, ah, oh, it's kind of a interesting time. And he ended up not coming. And I always enjoy seeing Rudy. Um, so that mm-hmm. was, you know, like one of the funny parts. So the, the one yeah. of the people I look forward to seeing at uh summer strong, yeah, he didn't show up. I, I very well, he could have been there in camouflage and I just didn't see him. <laughs> In fact, like he's probably pop in right now and be like, no, I had a great time. I'm yeah. He like comes out from underneath the table. He's like, I've been here the whole time, guys. 
<laughs> God damn it, that guy. Uh, so what's next? I mean, yeah. you, you were in LA and you moved to Denver a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing this, like, like what's next on the horizon? I mean, I, I know you've, like you said, there was a feeling like to go back to TV. Is that kind of maybe something you'd ever do or like, what's, what's 2021 Gosh, looking like? It's really tough to tell. It's funny that you're asking about 2021 and it's June 3rd. Well, I'm just trying to get past 2020. Like the, the, I'm done with 2020. It's fucking over. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, I ended up taking on a, an athlete uh, and I rarely go on the road um, and kind of give up my life. As you said, like I'm in Denver now. I bought a home, love that in my life. But it just felt like a change up was, I was, was eminent and um, my athlete's a tennis player. And so I thought, and she's a good one. So I thought, this is going to be a fucking blast. I get to go to Rome, Spain, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, like French, you know, French. I mean, you go through all these major cities. It's really fun working with athletes, as you guys know. Like, I mean, this would be the shit. And then COVID happened, and I've been in Florida ever since. <laughs> and by the way, Florida, thank you for having me. But it's not quite Paris, you know. And so it's really kind of shifted what I thought this year was going to do was going to do. Um, I know I've got some things like professionally, I'm doing really well. Like my own, I have my own CBD business called get up CBD. That's off the ground. I had the biggest month of sales last month I've ever had. Like it's going amazing. My app with train heroic, it's going amazing. Like all my businesses, everything I'm doing is great. But when I started to look at the pie chart of where I put my time and what I'm really happy about and what I'm not, my business, all that shit is off the charts where I am in relationships and my own personal development, I'm at like a level two. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess my answer to you, um, because work is all good, but I really want to make sure I'm happy at the end of the day. Like I love what I'm doing and who I am. And I've just focused so much time on kind of standing at that fork in the road for people and helping direct traffic that I've prevented myself from making that decision. And so um, I'm just, I, it sounds weird, but I think I'm gonna like really focus. 21 is gonna be about love and my own personal development. Like all these things I've always said I wanted to do, like I wanna be multilingual and like I'm not, take, I'm not making any effort towards that. I wanna, I miss learning. Learning is when I feel my happiness. Um, and to be in a relationship, like what effort have I really made to put myself out there and to really meet, men or make space for that. And I'm like, you know what, if that's important to you, then you need to start to divert that energy and create goals around those. So that's going to be 2021. That's a heavy lift. You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Do you, uh, do you, do you, do people, do you think people are still going to travel? Like, like, so, uh, this year and like, just personally, like I had this, um, like I was planning to try to like, uh, in college, I took this class on like, uh, on Rome. It was like Roman monuments and this insane, uh, like the hardest class I took in college. And so I had this dream of always going to Rome and I never have been. And so I was oh. th- this year, I was planning on like now that my kids a little bit older, uh, like this summer I was like, dude, or September, I take them out of school and we were going to go do this. And it's kind of like, all this has kind of changed now. And, uh, I just kind of wonder like, are people going to do international travel? Like I don't have any problem going, but like, I think the world is still super fearful. And I think here in Texas, things have opened back up and people are 
I don't yeah, know we what don't the word have, is. I don't know like, that we have like a right. Yeah, thing. like like the way things are. Like I went to the market yesterday, and like only one person was wearing a mask. Like mm-hmm. it's it's just kind of a different deal. Whereas uh, you're seeing like in other places, like they're still in quarantine, they're still on lockdown. Like the places are still real nervous about this. So I wonder if like people are going to feel comfortable in getting on a flight and going over to Europe, and then going to Rome and going, you know, doing these things that we would cons- we wouldn't have considered mm-hmm. anything other than like availability and price but now all of a sudden we're like well are things open like if i went to rome like are they have they closed everything like I mean, what if we went like if where rome's we open go i mean to me because i've had a little bit of travel to do airports are empty airplanes are pretty bare this is this is as as, as to me this is the time to go don't cancel that trip mm-hmm. like be thoughtful wear your masks keep your kids hands out of their mouths you're going to be fine. Like we, I I really don't think stopping in our tracks is the way to go. I think we've contained, I think we've been thoughtful. I think people in Texas should still wear their masks at the supermarket, but you know what I mean? I I, I say travel. I I think, you know, I think um, gyms are going to open up. I I think people are craving community and interaction and I don't think much is going to stop them from doing it especially since we've got more treatments underway and, and we're starting to kind of identify better systems and best practices. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm someone that's, I used to bite my nails for, let's see, I'm 37. So about 37 years and I have stopped. Like, let me tell you nothing like a pandemic to keep your hands out of your mouth, you know? And so like, I just say like, you should go, you should see the world. There's a lot out there. I mean, there's, there's, and it's such an ancient city. Rome is just, Whenever you go to different countries, you like that. Like I've been to Africa, I've been to Rome, I've been to like you know Chichen Itza, which is a ruin deep in the Mexico. Yeah. Been there, yeah. Been there. Yeah, you know, there's just something that gives you a perspective. It's a time capsule of information that it, I, I, I don't think you can avoid being um, the impression being made on you. So I mean, as long as you think your kids can do it, I say go. Prices. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave the country. Mm-hmm. Going, and going back to John, what you're saying about travel, like it's it. This has been an interesting and difficult time for many people, and I know there's an economic impact to this, but it's only been four months. Uh, we're like 10, 11 weeks, so it's, I don't even think it's been three months. But right now, it's August eighth? Question mark text? Yeah. Wink, wink. That's the release date, Jen. Uh, oh, I gotta stop saying the date. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like, it, it, but you like, know what I mean. So, but, but think about this. Like, uh, um, and I'm not trying to reduce the, the the severity of this as well. Like, people's lives are challenged. There, this is very real. But the world is a very busy and fluid organism in terms of commerce, in terms of travel. Like, there's I. Will this shutdown not start back up? Like, I would be shocked if a, a year from now we're not traveling. Yeah, you know, well, like, uh, but but like the, one of the worries wasn't necessarily like, hey, we're going to get infected, but like, what if you go somewhere and you're like, uh, sh- there's yeah. no place to eat because everything's closed? Oh, okay. or, or, yeah, yeah. or so like that was kind of my bigger enough, thing of like, hey, like if you go, you want to be able to go to restaurants, you want to go do these things. What if places just aren't open? Or, you know, you want to go look at all these things and they're like, oh, no, 
you know, these things are closed. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it was great. We went to Rome. But we, we have a patio. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, oh, we had to stay in our rooms because everything was fucking closed. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, like, that's kind of, I think the, at least for me, a little bit of the apprehension. Yeah, the term, like, right. I want to go, if I, if I go somewhere, we travel, like, I want to be able to experience everything. I don't want to feel like we're at 25% occupancy rate and we can't see anybody today. Jen, did you, uh, get, did you get to go to the Vatican when you were in Rome? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yes. God. If that, I was going to recommend that to you, John. But again, if John goes, the Vatican's shut. Like, it's a waste of trip. So yeah. I agree. Make sure yeah. it's open. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I just want to make sure everything's open and that we can see everything. And, like, I, uh, like, I took an entire semester, and the, the name of the class was Roman Monuments. So, like, every ounce of Rome. What did you talk about? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I saved all my stuff. Uh, like I like I still have the books. I still have all the notes because I've had this idea, and I'm like I'm taking the kids, and I'm gonna bore the shit out of them with like every detail I remember. Oh, it's and not boring. Some, I know, but they they'll be like, we want to eat ice cream. No, it's it's great. I mean, in the Vatican especially, like there's just such it's it's weird because you, you'll walk through and you kind of look up. It's a, it's a little um, overwhelming in a cool way. You feel very. Uh, it's quantum leap, man. You just it's it's neat and like the. the, the your senses like the smell of the air like I, I mean i paid like the two euro to walk the stairs you can take an elevator to the top of the vatican i urge you and your family to walk you can see the way the bricks are stacked and the space that's between them and you can see the square and the touch the dampness that's there the way the paint looks on the walls like talk about i mean there's that scene from goodwill hunting and he's talking to you know, well, by the water about have you ever looked at the Sistine Cattle? Do you know what it smells like in that room? You need to go and do that and, and feel it and see it. Because I think it, it's it's just a really, really special experience. And then when you see the way the saints are all lined up on the top there, it's just a it's a really um, I don't know. It just I think it reminds you of how far the world has come. And it, it's exciting to see where we can go to me. Did, Jen, did you get the guided tour of the Vatican or walk through? I got really lucky. So I went to, I went to, I did this trip by myself. Like I was out of college and I just packed a bag and went and there, the, this, there I met a couple girls in, a ho- in the hostel I was at and one was from Brazil and one was from Australia. And one girl, I think had taken the class John did because she <laughs> knew everything and kind of had a book and she said, this is the, da, 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 da. So I just got so lucky that we kind of had somebody that was informed enough that guided us through. And then there's the sculpture garden and there's just, we just kind of walked through and moved through the day. And, you know, yeah, it was really, I went for a seminar. Mm -hmm. We didn't sell enough to get the big guy out there, but decided for the first time ever traveling to pay for a tour guide. And I'm mad at every other trip I ever took and not paid someone to teach about everything it was amazing text remind us at what point during the vatican tour you were ushered out of the vatican uh ushered i i got kicked out of the vatican jen (laughs) nana mcquilkin what'd you do uh that's exactly it i got caught (laughs) taking a photo and nana mcquilkin not too proud of me but uh and i could say that i got kicked out of a country because the Vatican is technically a country. That's true. <laughs> did, hang on. I forget. Did you, do you have the photo? Oh, 100%. Let's frame that. Okay. <laughs> What's the photo Which, of? Like the bathroom? The Sistine Chapel. Amazing. And you're, my, you're not allowed to take a picture of the Sistine no. Chapel? No. But the most... I mean, John, you can do one of these. Like, I just, I just kind of did this. And it went... And you just try to move your chin out yeah. of the way. <laughs> yeah. Well... Jen, funny you mentioned moving your chin out of the way because I got caught taking the photo and the most 
exquisite part of this is I have my very chiseled chin in this amazing piece of art above mm. head. So uh -huh. our frame oh. that we'll get up here. <laughs> Dude, that's a great still, picture. Did, you, did the flash go up? How'd you get caught? Well, I had this guy next to me who did like an underhook in a very nice camera. And I'm like, this schlub is getting this memory. And I got jealous and I had, a, Go I had a GoPro with, with me from the seminar and just popped it. And I must have had like arm extension mm -hmm. and this Italian officer or guard who was in there, he just pointed me out and I knew I got Irish guilt. I felt guilty as soon as he called mm -hmm. me out and started. And, and yeah. Did you just run? No. So he, he bolts through the crowd right up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and my tour guide steps up and tries to defend me. And then they started speaking Italian to each other. And she's like, oh, yeah, get him out of here. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so he's escorting me through the, the halls, all this. And then as soon as I saw one of those, you know, the European exit signs, it's like a green sign with a person running. As soon as I saw that, I just took a hard push, push off, right, open step through that door <laughs> and just kept on going. I didn't know if they were going to, like, take my camera, make me delete the photo right, or right. confiscate yeah. the GoPro. And I guess, Jen, to add a little more context to this, uh, McQuilkin is a dear, dear friend of mine and is known for many positive attributes, but subtlety is not one of them. <laughs> um, in his mind, he feels like like Rico Suave doing things like that, but then it's like the movie version where it's like, do 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 uh, Yeah. You know, and uh, that's how I imagine it, too. Like, he believes in his heart of hearts. This was a, like, stealthy, covert, stealthy, stealthy. covert picture, but it was a lot, probably like, beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, with like, the GoPro, you can't see it. <laughs> hey, hey, can you pose? You take a picture of me posing with the Sistine Chapel? You're like, oh, God, this is oh, Right? And I say that out of love, Tex, because you have many other strengths that I, I cherish. That you never talk about on the air. No, why would I do that? I don't want other people to know that. <laughs> Those are between us. Oh, man. Uh, man, yeah, that, that is... Uh, that is going to be a killer trip for you, big guy. I think the kids will be stoked. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, like my biggest fear is just that everything will be closed. I mean, I could see that actually. And like my biggest fear is to do the Griswold uh, vacation <laughs> where they go to Wally World and they pull up and it's closed for uh. two weeks. And like, uh. so, so what I'm fearful is of like the Wally World thing. You know, you take this epic trip, you got kids, you get them over there, you know, the flights, the whole thing, you get to, and you're like, oh, then the restaurants are 25% occupancy and the Vatican and everything's closed. You're like, Ah, this feels yeah. like information. But what if John Candy greeted you? Would that change your mind? Uh, when he puts the gun in his face and he's like, <laughs> it's a great deal. Uh, no, that's uh, like that's like my biggest fear yeah. is to have the vacation, Christmas vacation, or uh, sorry, summer vacation, but uh, in Europe, which is actually one of my uh. other favorite movies. So, Tax were past 145. Now we're on to movies. What movie questions have you prepared for Jen? Well, not quite a movie question, but a character question. Okay. So we... Uh, understand and appreciate your awesomeness on American Gladiator, did you ever give any thought to a WWE diva? If so, what would be your character's name? Okay, so you know I auditioned for WWE. Have we not talked about this? No, we did no. not, but we are going to. Okay, so this was, this was, if I got Biggest Loser in May, this was December. So because I had done a little fitness modeling, done some like, you know, the magazines, I'm holding protein. I'm, you know, they put me in like, di you know, different shots. I was asked to come audition down in Orlando. So I fly in for WWE, I fly in and 
by the way, like the, our class, like that, that Colin Von Mager guy was there. Um, another girl, her name is Nia Jack. She's a WWE champion now, killing it, crushing it. Like all these people that are like, we were all just thrown in. We had the funnest time. You're doing the flips, you do the stuff. And then what broke me is at the very end, you have to do a character like you would in like in WWE. And <laughs> I, just, I think I tried and I started to laugh. I was like, I can't, I'm not, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. Uh, and I just was like, I just, I love helping people and spreading good messages and um, it, thanks for the fun. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I pulled, yeah, I just, I had nothing. So I had auditioned and it just was not, it's, it's, it really is, there's a level of, I mean, the acrobats and the understanding, but the persona, the presence that must come through you as, as, as those athletes, as those uh, wrestlers, I, that, God did not give me that skill. So anyway, I did try, it didn't happen, uh, but thank God, because I wouldn't have done Big Scissor. Huh? I guess in similar vein, through your access via TV, have, have there ever been any movie roles or cinema that's been presented to you that you could talk about? So Presented? No, no one's asked me to do anything. I, I think it would be so, I know, I, you know, I just think that, I mean, it's tough as a little girl growing up, that, like who loved Wonder Woman, you know, I thought Gal Gadot did good, but you, you I, I just see like such a disparagement between what women really look like and what superheroes we have as women. Yeah. And so um, it would have been it would have been fun. Like people like I guess She-Hulk is a big thing. I have people DM me cartoon pictures of me as She-Hulk. Um, but, you know, I think I would try it. Like, I think, you know, same thing when Gina Carano was approached, like it was kind of out of the blue and she did it and she tried it and she enjoyed it and she's continued to do it. So I wouldn't say no, but, you know, it would have to be the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. I was just I, you know, I Oh, go ahead. No, no. Take it. I just see a lot of times now. I look at what opportunities come, whether it's a date with a guy or it's a job, it's either gonna be a detour or it's gonna put me closer to where I wanna go. And I'm at this point where I can't take any more detours. Um, Jan, forgive me, but this reminds me of a detour in 2018, mm. Strong. We're approaching Luke's anniversary Oh, yes, wedding. we are. That's right. <laughs> Jen, um, in six days will have been the two-year anniversary of my wedding. Oh, oh yeah. Wasn't that's... I asked to go as your dates? What happened? Yeah. Uh, I've yeah, been we're... wondering that for... <laughs> <laughs> so the joke was, when we were at Luke's wedding, we are like, don't worry, Jen's flying in. She'll be here in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, it was a joke. I wasn't really actually invited. Oh, I wasn't joking, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't think we were <laughs> kidding either. <laughs> no. Uh, if you wanted to follow through, it would have been awesome. It, but for listeners, it, it was... Uh, after maybe it was a day two or three and yeah, like I, late, late I just night. remember uh gunner had like a couple handles of of liquor and like we just dispensed with uh this general member we just dispensed with the cups and i just yes. remember like passing a handle of liquor around yeah, and being like man this is uh okay, called the swig and dig yeah. <laughs> and like gunner being like we got two of these and being like this guy's gonna fucking kill me and then the boys are oh, all yeah. like hey mcquilkin you're going to get a date. Jen is a perfect date for the wedding. Go ask her. He's like, I'm not going to ask her. But then after 48 hours of incessant, like, I think I asked berating, her. And then yeah, obviously I, think like, I think I asked her. A little like, bit of liquid courage. He asked. And then on the ride home, we're like, so you think 
think she'll show up, buddy? I'm like, I'll tell you what, we're going we're gonna to save a, spe- a seat for you at the table. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be honest, it? if there was actually a follow-up, I would have come, but and there was know, like no problem. No, do you know why? Because she's, no. uh, she's a nice Chicago Midwestern Absolutely. girl. Absolutely. And, and this was a Midwestern wedding. All my boys are from the Midwest. Uh, Luke's from Downers Chicago. Grove, Naperville, Aurora, we're all from that area. Yeah. It would have been a blast. It would have been a blast. Yeah, Wayne and Garth were there, Aurora. What was all that one in a million talk? Uh, <laughs> but but in, in all honesty, it's it's been like a lighthearted thing that we've always joked about. And you know, I guess in in hindsight, like you said earlier, it's totally clear we should have just pinged her and told her to come. Yeah, you know? I think we were, I don't know, like drunk. Mm-hmm. But That'll happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I I'll say in my uh, uh, adult like adult years, like I was never a great drinker. Uh, by any means, you know, like people like pride themselves. I'm like, I was never a great drinker. I think I might have been a decent drinker there for like a minute, but I'm not to this day. So like you all of a sudden go to something and like I take like four swigs out of the bottle. I'm like, you're just taking like big breaths and you're like, man, and like Gunner's over there just killing it. And I'm like, God damn, this dude's going to drink me underneath the table. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And he will. Yeah, he will. And like talk shit to you the whole time. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, I and like because I'm a big dude, people think I'm. Oh, you're a good drinker. I'm like I'm. I'm Andre not. the Giant ruined it. I, 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 I am not a good drinker. <laughs> I literally just texted him about a week ago because my my cousin had made moonshine, and so I was I was testing it, and then um, I had I was with a friend of mine, and she goes, "But doesn't moonshine make you blind? Like it's supposed to be really bad for you." So I text Gunner. I go, "Yo, buddy, quick one." Is there a thing about moonshine and making you blind? He's like, if it did, I'd be texting you in Braille. <laughs> well, the idea is if the alcohol, I think, is like, uh, I forgot what the Uncle Huey, who's um, our buddy back in California, makes moonshine. moonshine. Yeah. And so he would always bring this moonshine uh, around Christmas, which was a bad deal because we started making eggnog with it. So we made <laughs> uh, eggnog moonshine. And like all of a sudden you'd have one of them and you'd be like, I can't feel my face. Like I like you get all hot and like be like this and you're like I'm not gonna go blind from this. He's like no 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 that's I think when the alcohol's too high. I'm like oh mm-hmm. okay what is this stuff? Oh. Oh, it's like it's like a 150 proof. You're like a hundred. 150? Yeah. I think oh my he, god. Yeah, he made a high proof and then he had like a lesser one that was like in the 80s yeah. and the 100s and he had all this stuff. But we used to mix the uh, the stuff that'll run your car into eggnog and um, man <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I, I, I remember uh, Uncle Dave uh, who's one of our buddies came to visit right around Christmas and he's like hey we should have uh, eggnog I'm like yeah what's it like 9 o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden at like 10 o'clock my wife came home and we were like both on the couch and she's like have you guys been drinking we're like yeah we had one eggnog and she's like oh you guys suck <laughs> yeah so anyway, uh, yeah just uh, eggnog it's a bad deal yeah, I wonder what, there, I, I had heard that too Jen about the you know moonshine and going blind but I think that was back in the day where there was some you know there, Maybe they were cooking Suspect it in, in, ingredients. in like tins or something. So maybe yeah. it was... The, like a, I'll, a, I'll research it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hit yeah, a few and figure out why it is. Yeah. But, but we're all here and we can see fine, I think. So, Well, we'll just have to try to see if we can make ourselves blind next year at Summerstrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will take that challenge. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm going to challenge my vision at Summerstrong mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. We'll, call, we'll call Huey to meet us there. Oh, God. You think you do it with it and just like, Huey? We need we need five cases of moonshine. You know, uh, so yeah, this is our buddy Huey. He's like an engine builder, and he came and worked with us. He was like probably three hundred and twenty five, three hundred thirty pounds, so he was pretty heavy, and um, he like could never lose weight, never lose weight, and it was always this emotional battle. And he ended up going in, and uh, they told him if he got his stomach cut in half, 
that they would pay for his gym membership and give him food. Like, uh, hey, we'll like subsidize if it's a medical procedure. So through his insurance, whatever goes in, gets his stomach cut in half. He must weigh one ninety, mm-hmm. and it's been wow. it's probably kept the, the weight off for a couple of years. Yeah, he's got the system, yeah. but he can only eat like maybe like four blueberries at a time. I mean, it's such a like his stomach's so small that he has to eat these like tiny little meals, and yeah. um, he's kept the weight off. But I just remember thinking like, God, like. Is that it what it sh- takes to make a life change that you got to go and have somebody cut your stomach in half? Like, is that how far like that there's no, you know, personal responsibility, but like he ended up, he had to make the life change and it just took him getting his stomach cut in half. Man. Oh, nothing like ruining a meal by only having room for four blueberries. Yeah. That's a joke. He's like, show me these. He's like, I can eat all these little meals. I'm like, dude, that's <laughs> like, you know, four blueberries and a Cheerio. Like there's like not much in that. That's like a two ounces of meat. I'm like, God damn, that would be so unfortunate. I would just rather crush like a massive meal and then just keep my shit together the rest of the week. Like I, I can do that. Preach you and me. Yeah. Or Same. just, or just like, uh, you know, like the magic of fasting. You mean fancy caloric restriction? Just don't eat. Starve mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, eat, no. one, eat one big meal. Mm-hmm. No, no magic. <laughs> we got anything no else? Well, Jen, I guess if, if people have been enthralled, which they have been by this episode, where do they find Team Jen? Where do they find Jen on social? How, if they're not following you, shame, first off, shame. but point them, guide them in the right direction. Uh, it's easy. I'm sure my name spelling will be in the in the session notes here, but my all my social media is just my full name, Jen Wiederstrom. And, and by the way, f- uh, fun fact that you can use this for one of your new teams. My last name means against the current. So I know, I know to resist the stream, I think is the literal. What is it? Is it a German name? Swedish. Swedish. To resist stream, stream, resist the stream. Anyway, back on track. Um, My website is Wiederstrong, W-I-D-E-R-S-T-R-O-N-G. See what I did there. Mm. And that's where you'll find all the other things. I do, you know, weekly newsletters and uh, my team is on there with my app training and all kinds of other stuff. I do challenges. So all things Jen, go there. Well, we're on Team Jen, so we're happy about it. Woo! Preach. Thanks, Jen, and thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Jen is awesome. If you agree, you should absolutely check her out on Instagram at Jen Wiederstrom or head to her website, Wiederstrong. That's with a G. And you heard correctly, you can have her as your very own training coach. She is now launched on Train Heroic. Just search Team Jen. Until next time, bye!